0: Episode 126, Hot Shots Got Mitch Unfiltered. It's here, and the Seahawks straight jacket that we've been wearing for how many months now? Three, four, five, yeah. five months has been taken off, and we are free to chat about anything we want on episode 126. Is that a good thing,
1: or is that a bad thing? Well, first, let's see if that happens, because there's always some kind of Seahawks oh, news. Oh,
0: I got all kinds of Seahawks stuff. ha <laughs> <laughs> ha!
1: Of course you do. I mean, the offensive coordinator getting blown out, you know, yeah. that's always something, but yeah. no, it was it was kind of a nice relaxing weekend, not sweating my ass off sitting on my couch. It was actually sort of nice in a weird way. Was it though? No, it wasn't. Talking myself into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said, it's 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 a party you're not invited to, and the party just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, you know? I think I talked to you about this either on a P show or the last show that we did. I get the same feeling
0: when I'm watching March Madness when Syracuse makes the tournament. It's so much of what I cheer for. It's so much a part of me to watch them play and to root for them. And then when they make the tournament and they lose, as soon as that ending, which is so abrupt, happens, yeah. it becomes really painful for me to watch the next few days of the NCAA tournament. Even though I love college basketball maybe more than I like anything else. I just find it too painful to watch the tournament in the days right after Syracuse is eliminated. I have the same kind of, it's not as intense. I did watch the Chiefs on Sunday. I did watch the Bucks and the Saints on Sunday night. I watched a little of Saturday. It's not as intense, but it's still, there's a discomfort for me Watching yeah. the games after the I was gonna say after the Dolphins are eliminated, but that,
1: that's on, that's on Labor Day, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wait till next year. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was yeah. it was even weirder watching the team that beat your team that you know that beat the Seahawks, the Rams, get 32 dropped on them.
0: That hurt even more. You knew that that was going to happen. That's always the case when a team kind of upsets another team in one round. They never play as well the next round, especially when they've got to go to Green Bay where the Packers had an off week and they're completely yeah. fresh and Aaron Donald got hurt here and Cooper Cup got hurt and a bunch of guys. Got, you just knew that the Rams were not going to be able to bring it in Green Bay like they did here. And and then you sit there and you're going, okay, the Rams do not look very good at all. Is Are the Seahawks that bad that they couldn't beat the Rams? Right.
1: This team that we're watching lose by a million to the Packers, right? Beat the Rams? Couldn't do anything against them. Forget right. beat them. Right. I mean, just move the ball a little bit. That would have been nice, but and it, of course, everyone on Twitter is like, oh, hey, look, you, you, move the, you move the pocket around, you get yeah. those short intermediate passes. Everything you wish the Seahawks would have done was right in front of your face for three hours.
0: Hope you'll subscribe, rate us, and hopefully give us five stars. Write a review if you don't mind. Like, freaky fast freaky good freaky fast freaky (laughs) good did on january 11th 2021 on the apple podcast site love mitch and hotshot scott i look forward to this podcast each week mitch and scott are great together great mix of local sports national sports and a couple of other topics as well that was nice. Five stars. We also got five stars on the same January 11th from Crispy Fam. I love these nicknames. Crispy yeah. Fam wrote Amazing podcast, great podcast, funny and informative. Love listening to Mitch and Scott. You can do it on the Apple Podcast. If you want to write to me directly, you can do that like Bob and Olympia did. Oh, boy. Hot shot. Hey, Mitch, I remember not liking Hot shot Scott very much.
1: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, get in
0: line. <laughs> Go ahead. Dear Mitch, I remember not liking Hotshot Scott very much during his short stint with Mike Gastineau. Oh. In fact, I thought it was Gas Man's undoing. He's much more tolerable <laughs> with you. Is that a Scott getting better thing or just better chemistry with you and Scott than Mike and Scott, Bob and Olympia Washington? And of course, my first reaction to this email from Bob and Olympia Washington was... How the hell did you even hear gas? And Hot Shot in Olympia, Washington. I get <laughs> right. You, you can't get KJR in downtown Seattle, let alone Olympia, I Washington.
1: I used to always hit? laugh. <laughs> I laugh about it because they, I, the program director lives out where I live in Me, You literally yeah. can't hear the station <laughs> that he's in charge of at his house. he' used to always make me laugh.
0: See, the, And therein yeah. lies the key for me staying on all those years. The program director couldn't hear the show between go. 6 and 10, yeah. Mondays well through Fridays. He, he'd waltz yeah. in around 10 going did you guys do a show I mean he never heard the show if he oh we were were great (laughs) you should have heard it (laughs) if he had only heard the show in 1996 we could have started the podcast in 1997 so what's the answer to that question what what, I don't really remember fondly or not fond I just don't remember you and gas I guess I maybe didn't listen a lot of to you and gas how was that how long did that
1: last less than two years I think I don't know I, I I thought that I thought Gas and I did a pretty good show, but of course I'm, I'm a little biased, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know why he didn't like me. I don't know what to say to that, but you used to come on. If you remember, you came on for like an hour a week. Do you remember that? You would yes, sit in with Gas and I? Mon-
0: Mondays, Mondays, Gas and Mitch would do an hour, but I thought you kind of disappeared during that hour. I don't remember you being there when we would do the Mondays at like five o'clock. I remember going over to Husky Stadium. We That's did right. it. We did it in Husky Stadium. The Founders Club. We yep. might. I, I, we might have done it at Heck Ed for a while. We definitely did it at Anthony's. Did I go to Anthony's at some point, like
1: in Ballard? Yeah, Anthony's maybe. in Ballard to do it at some point. But you were never there. You weren't a part well, of that show, were you? The reason that you think I disappeared because I couldn't get a word in edgewise with you two <laughs> gas bags. I mean, holy crap! <laughs> I mean, the three of us trying to all talk at the same time. Forget about it. Uh, so was it a different field than Mitch
0: unfiltered or was it the same is all of this the same talk to Bob Bob wants to know is this a Scott getting better thing or is there a different chemistry between Scott and Mitch than there was between gas and Scott answer the I didn't put the freaking email in episode
1: 126 <laughs> for you to ignore it respond to Bob and Olympia chemistry I, I don't think it's a chemistry thing I mean I've known gas as long as I've known you 25 years I don't know if it's that but but I found out that being on sports radio, you're you're under a microscope for every little thing you say. And maybe I am too here. We just don't hear about it. But people would text. You say one little thing. I mean, you know, you did it for 25 years. Yeah. You say one little thing wrong. So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was just... People thought I, I wasn't a huge... A big enough sports fan? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But here there's a little more bullshitting. That's kind of what I did for ten years. <laughs> you know. And by the way, I mean I came from a you know, a syndicated morning show that we just talked about nonsense right. to a sports radio station. So right. I was out of I was out of that world for ten years and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Sports fans are they're very fickle and everyone who listens think they can do they can do what you know, what you did or what gas did. because Because they they love sports because they
0: can because they they probably can
1: (laughs) (laughs) i remember i i got the uh the capacity at at lumen field wrong one time and god people just texted in i can't believe he thinks it's fifty six thousand or whatever the hell it was i remember like where am i working who gives a crap (laughs) i
0: remember going to a program director i think it was tom lee because i used to get a kick out of all the different emailers and and look what we do we're not We're not doctors. We're not surgeons. It doesn't take a really, really bright guy or girl to do what we do. But I always did get a kick out of the fact that people listen to what we do and they think, geez, I can do that. As they're driving to their regular nine to five jobs, they listen to Mitch in in the morning and they say, oh, I I can do that probably better than he can. I can interview that guy better than he can. Right. Right. And I, I remember going to Tom Lee and saying, Tom, why don't we invite these people in? Give them the show. Let's yeah. find let's find all these people who think that they can do better than we can and invite them in and and build them up. We'll do an open. We'll do a produced open. I'll step aside and we'll just let them do the show. That would be it was kind of along the same vein as letting the intern at the end of the interns. <laughs> you know, period, c- come in and do a segment. And then I would call yeah, yeah. in as a caller, take phone calls and everything else. But it just never got off the off the ground. Don't you think that would have been a good segment? People driving to work who think they can do the show, come on in.
1: Yeah, or nothing else. Give them an hour at 11 o'clock at night. And then, you know, or you can replay it the next day if you want. Just, yeah, let them put their money where yeah. their mouth is a Abs- little bit. But absolutely. Absolutely. Tom- Tom wasn't feeling it, huh? Mitch, it's your show. You know, we pay you a lot of money and I'm gonna need you to come in from six to ten every day. He just
0: thought this was a way of me trying to get another vacation day out of (laughs) it.
1: Another segment off. (laughs) Oh God.
2: Become
0: a Mitch unfiltered patron for five dollars a month. At MitchUnfiltered.com, unlock a ton of extra shows each week, including from this past week, we had episode 125P that was added to the, uh, the Patreon site. Uh, a brand new Seahawks no table in which we go all through everything you need to know about the Seahawks as they end the season. And, and ladies and gentlemen, a new Hotshot special podcast starring Lou Graham, who I don't even know who that is. That's not the Lou from the, uh from the Mary Tyler Moore show, right? That's a Jesus. different Lou? I don't, Lou? Or was that Lou Grant? That might have been Lou
1: Grant. <laughs> that might have been Lou Grant, This yes. is Lou
0: Grant. Who is Lou? Lou Graham is Foreigner, is that right? Am I understanding Correct. that correctly? See, I don't even, I don't know. I'm not a Foreigner guy, so I don't know
1: much. Well, this is why I think it's going to be interesting because you'll listen to it and you'll know ah, 10 not. songs. Probably not. You'll know the words to I'm 10, ten listen- songs. I'm not listening. <laughs> <laughs> I not
0: <laughs> No, I know Foreigner. Don't you know what love is, right? You got to know what love is or something like that. What is that? I, uh, yes,
1: close. What is it? I want to know what love is. I
0: want to know what love is, and then yeah, there's that was their biggest hit. Is it rock star? No, jukebox hero, oh, right? Isn't that yes. Foreigner? Right?
1: Both on the same album, Foreigner four. There you go. Look really, at you. Uh, you. You would know urgent, I think, too. I don't know. So urgent. Don't, no, not really. Oh yeah yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I got that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, they I have probably a bunch. know. I know. I just don't remember being a huge four. Isn't that kind of the Ario Speedwagon journey sticks? Isn't yeah, it fair. that that kind of realm foreigner? Yeah. Why'd you choose Lou Graham, a foreigner, to do all well, the? When you, ha- you haven't even done Barry Manilow yet. You haven't <laughs> done Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> you haven't done Neil Diamond. Yeah, you haven't done. Um, Uh, Engelbert you haven't done Engelbert Humperdinck
1: just yet true yeah yeah he's seventh on the list yeah um I'm a huge for I've always loved foreigner I remember when I was either eight or nine we pulled up to our house and my mom handed me the foreigner four album and said happy birthday kid so I I've, I've just always loved him and he's got one of the great voices that just never gets talked about on the great rock voices of all time and when you listen I try to prove to you that I think he really does have one of them. And he's got a unique story. He had a, he had an, I don't want to give it all away, but he had an egg sized tumor in his brain. Egg?
0: See, egg. I, see, on Zoom, I'm looking at you and you put up your hand. You did not have an egg hand. That was like a softball hand. Was it a softball or was it an egg uh- Tumor. What
1: is this? Whose line is it anyway? I don't know. I just had my hand in the air. What God, look at your notes for God's sakes. Get prepared for the show. No, but okay. Here you go. It was a, a size of an egg, and I mean, okay. you think of, like sometimes you hear about tumors that are the size of a, a pencil eraser yeah. or a marble. Yeah. An egg was an in egg. his head, so he somehow benign. got that out and survived. And benign tumor, right? Yeah, benign, yeah. but who's gonna who's gonna operate on it? One he found one doctor in Manhattan wow. that said he would do it, but was up front and said it's fifty-fifty if you live. So you've done That's three. That's where now. He was. So this was
0: this was your third installment of the music series, is that right? That's right. And yep. number, uh, remind me who who the three were so far? Phil Collins,
1: Steve Perry, and Lou Graham.
0: Was Lou Graham the one that you knew you were going to do all along that you hesitated putting out there because you thought it was too long? Or did you did you shift gears from somebody else in number three?
1: There were, Yeah, there were some parts I, I thought just kind of dragged on. And okay. I don't know. I just, there's, I saw, I, the best thing to do is leave it. I left it alone for like two weeks. And then went back to it, and then made the made the edits. And anyway, I hope people like it. I I think people already are saying that they like it. People already uh, in the comments. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: The comments are unbelievable. Most of these people haven't even listened to it yet, and they like it.
1: (laughs) That's good. I (laughs) like it. I loved it. I (laughs) thought it was the best thing you've done so far. Oh, wait to hear the Barry Manilow one. It's going to be top notch. Have you already decided who number four is going to be, or I have, and I started writing the script actually today. Really? I did, as a matter of fact. Yep. Wow. Started it. Started laying the music down, and yeah. Well, a Seattleite.
0: Well, this that's is going
1: to be a Seattleite. God,
0: McLemore already is getting his own <laughs> podcast? <laughs> that's right. Episode
1: By the way, Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. McLemore no. reminds me of the time. I shouldn't be laughing about Dave Niehaus passing, but after Niehaus passed, we got a rap song sent to the station, and our producer, Kevin Shockey said, hey, some local rapper guy wants to play this. Yeah. Oops. Some local rapper. What, what do you think? Should we play it? And I was like, mm, "Gasway." with these. Like, I don't know. So we played it, and it was okay. And I remember thinking at the time, this poor kid, he's still trying to become a rapper. It was like, I don't know, when did House pass? I can't remember, 2010 or 11? Mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, what a tough hustle, this guy trying to become a rapper in Seattle. He's writing songs about Kneehouse. He's never going to be anything. And it was freaking McLuhan. Whatever became of that guy? <laughs> God, <laughs> he skyrocketed to be the biggest star on the planet for a couple of years. What do I know? All right, Steve um,
0: Dion, or, or should I call him Producer Steve? Uh, producer Steve is, is getting antsy now, the... The T-section of episode 126 has gone way too far, way too long. So let me tell you about the guests. Interesting compilation of guests. Can I call it a compilation? Because, you know, we don't have the Heisel thing and we don't have Brady Anderson. So this is now kind of a little bit more of a diverse crowd. You won't know the first name of guest number one. His name is Fred Clare. He's 85 years old. I know exactly what you're thinking up. Here's Mitch interviewing an 85. He is the sharpest 85-year-old interview you will ever hear. You won't even believe that he's 85 when you listen to him. Let me tell you who Fred Clare is. He's a lifelong Dodgers employee and a dear friend, a lifelong dear friend of Tommy Lasorda. You know he lost Tommy Lasorda. Yeah. And Fred Clare came on, did an interview with me. You're gonna love this if you. I, I know that people sometimes don't gravitate to interviews where they don't recognize the name. Give this a shot. Just give this a shot. Do you remember Hot Shot? The name Al Campanis.
1: Yeah, it sounds what familiar. Na- what does that name mean to you, oh. Al Campanis? I don't know. I I, it's, I know it sounds from it sounds familiar. I just can't place what it's from. Okay, Al
0: Campanis was the GM of the Dodgers in the 1980s. Oh, okay. Okay? And on the anniversary date of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball, Al Campanis, the then GM of the Dodgers, was invited onto Nightline starring Ted Koppel for an interview to talk about Jackie Robinson. Is it now coming into focus? Am no. I Am I ringing a bell? No. No. And then Al Campanis made the most regrettable, worst, horrific remarks answering Ted Koppel's question about why there aren't more minorities in front office positions in baseball. He oh, made okay. a terrible set of remarks on Nightline, and he was fired literally minutes later. The Dodgers owner fired him immediately. A huge firestorm of controversy. Al Cam- Look it up. The Al Campanis okay. story and the remarks on Nightline. They called our guest, Fred Claire, who was like in the marketing department for the Dodgers. The owner called him and said, Fred, we want you to be the GM. We have to fire Al after what he said last night. This was the next morning. Wow. The very next morning. Fred, you need to take over the Los Angeles Dodgers, of which Tommy Lasorda was the manager. And he was in the marketing department or doing something else in sales. This is like Damn. somebody calling Tush and asking him to do the morning show.
1: <laughs> yes, great great reference for the rest of the audience. Nobody yes, understood that you. except for
0: you. And Fred yeah. Claire said, okay, and he became the GM, and this started a 10- or 15-year run as the GM of the Dodgers with Tommy Lasorda. And he tells that story about getting that call and that nightline interview. He talks about all about Tommy Lasorda. I don't want to give away too much of the interview. He's 85 years old. He talks about being at the, the first time the first time he ever and I, I I shouldn't do this but the first time he ever met Tommy Lasorda Lasorda was the manager of the Spokane Indians True story wow. This guy met Tommy Lasorda this guy was a reporter was a newspaper reporter and he met Tommy Lasorda the manager of the Spokane Indians They s- started off this incredible relationship so much so that Tommy said you want to play shortstop one night <laughs> and this guy went out and played shortstop. He's going to tell oh that God. story. Anyway, it's it's about 20 or 25 minutes it's a delightful interview. I know exactly what you're going to say the next time I see you. You're going to say, "There goes Mitch with eighty 80- Mitch and old men." What is it about Mitch and old interview? He likes to talk to old people. Yeah, well, I, I loved talking to Fred Clare. It's going to come across. You're going to you're going to hear it. I mean, it's it's fantastic. That's interview number one in on episode 126.
1: I, I've been at a couple jobs at Microsoft where on my first day I'm like, "What the hell am I doing here?" I, I have I, I have no idea what to do. You know, you just feel nervous. But imagine being the GM of the Dodgers on your first day. GM of the He's Dodgers. He's sitting there at your desk going, okay, now what? Do yeah. I call someone? Do What do I do? Yeah. How did he figure it out? Yeah, That's amazing. He figured it out. Guest number two is an old friend named
0: Randy Mueller. Do you remember the name Randy Mueller? I do. GM, I want to say. We're not talking about Ferris Bueller here. This is Randy Mueller. <laughs> oh, I'd like that too. Former NFL Executive of the Year, began his career with the Seahawks, was the Saints GM, and was the Dolphins GM. You know who his head coach was when he was the Dolphins GM? I don't. A fellow by the name of Nick Saban. Wow, it was, it was interesting. N- it was Nick Saban and Randy Mueller who needed a quarterback in Miami, and they were going to sign free agent Drew Brees from the San Diego Chargers. But they didn't like his. Well, we'll ask Randy. They didn't like yeah. his injury situation, so they took Dante Culpepper <laughs> instead. Oh man! And the rest, as they say, is history.
1: Uh, whatever happened to Drew Brees, other than playing in the playoffs 20 years later? because I thought you were just
0: going to say, whatever happened to Dante Culpepper, which would be a great question. Whatever yeah. happened to Dante Culpepper? And then uh, interview number three on this episode, 126 Hotshot. You're not a huge golf lover and golf fan as I am, not only for the sport, but for the Pacific Northwest. You may have read, because it's been national news, that... The PGA Championship in 2022, not this year's PGA Championship, one of the majors, PGA Championship in 2022, was supposed to be played at the Donald Trump Golf Club in New Jersey. And and that that venue was stripped of the, the PGA of America has decided we're not going to do that. So yeah. all of a sudden... These tournaments, which are scheduled year like they know where the 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, they know where huh. all of the, yeah, all of a sudden, a, a golf tournament that's 17 months from now, they don't have a place. So the the wild speculation and rumors, all the last uh, five, seven, 10 days have been, where's the PGA of America going to take this tournament? They yeah. need a place at the last minute. And the, the name Chambers Bay has been, Thrust into the spotlight lots of rumors that they may bring a, a major championship back to Chambers Bay, which, as you recall, was the 2015 U.S. Open venue. Yes. So I've got Vice President of Kemper Sports overseeing Chambers Bay at Company Kemper Sports runs Chambers Bay, Matt Allen, and I'm going to ask him straight up, have you heard from the PGA of America? Are you going to be the host of the 2022? Is is Chambers Bay and Pierce County interested in bringing the PGA Championship on short notice back to the Pacific Northwest? That's uh, That's interview number three on episode 126.
1: I can't imagine they're not interested. I guess we'll have to hear. It. We'll listen for ourselves. But that would be pretty amazing if they get that when they weren't expecting it, I think. But may- yeah. maybe I'm wrong. I guess yeah. we'll find out.
0: Yeah, You'll find out. You got to listen to find okay. out. All right. Episode 126, Hotshot Not Not Possible. Without all of our partners like Evergreen GovCall, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers, all working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. More good news from Zeke's Pizza to start 2021. Celebrating with a brand new location in Kenmore, Washington, right across the street from City Hall, one eight one one five. 68th Avenue Northeast opened a couple of weeks ago even during the pandemic Zeke's Pizza continues to grow a staple in the Northwest for so many years Zeke's Pizza homegrown in the Northwest Daniel's broiler. If you have a birthday, an anniversary, a special occasion, don't hesitate to celebrate with Daniel's Broiler. Pick up or have it delivered. The special bottle of Veuve Clicquot remains at an incredible price of 40 bucks to start the year. Daniel's Broiler straight to your door, making your home a world-class steakhouse. And the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage, with 30-year fixed rates in the twos, a 7-10-minute to 10 minute phone call with Jordan Flowers or a member of his team is all it takes to find out the incredible monthly savings of a refinance available to you. 425-250-3150. Take advantage of these crazy low numbers. You're silly not to explore the Kirkland office, a guild mortgage. This is episode 126, and it begins right now
3: unfiltered
0: in the grand scheme of things schneider's done a good job they do go to the playoffs every year and you know this is just a, a bad time to be asking the question right they, they announced right. an extension to the gm the day after or two days after they were eliminated at home in the playoffs I, i'm just right. not i'm not in the greatest seahawks mood to be talking about this the day after they lose to the rams unfiltered he got two guys that kentucky duke michigan state everybody in the country wanted two guys he got them they were on the team at the same time but they're one and done players it didn't work out they disappointed as a team the point guard got thrown off the team and it was just an absolute mess now they turn around and don't have those guys anymore and now you find out they have no talent and they can't win a basketball game mitch is unfiltered
1: All right, hot shot Scott, episode 126, it's officially underway. I had one of those awful, feeling old moments at the store. I just have to share with everybody really okay. quick. I don't know. Okay. So I had to go up to the store the other night. I had to get a bottle of booze, you know, for cooking purposes. <laughs> <You know. clears throat> what store? And, uh, well,
0: hold on. What store? Are we going to a uh, boot do you go to a booze store or do you get your booze at a grocery store
1: Well grocery store now but for years in Washington state you had to go to a liquor store yeah. but no so it's just like Safeway or So something.
0: you were at Safe, you you were at a Safeway or QFC the other night okay
1: That's right okay And so I go to pay and you know they have to ask you for your ID Now remember I have a mask on and a hat pulled down and I have these enormous headphones on I probably have 8 or 9% of my face actually showing She looks at me for a half second and just instantly hits over 21 I'm like wait you, you don't even want to take my mask off how do you know i'm over 21 when there's nothing is on there, my face showing is
0: there a bu- first of all my first reaction to this is based on your description i'm surprised you didn't start just unloading the cash register and giving her all the money <laughs> that's, a, that, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind the second thing is i didn't even know that there is an. what do you mean an over 21 when i go to qfc or safeway i've never seen an over 21 button
1: where do they hit that? It's the greatest. It's a new thing that they've added because oh. before you had you have to get your ID out. They got to oh. scan it, but it doesn't scan it. You know, it's always a. Now they can just look at you and then there's a button on the thing that says over 21. It takes two seconds, which is actually nice that they added that. But she, how does she know? I mean, I, nothing is showing on my okay. face. How so, does she know I'm over 21? So we
0: spend. So we bitch and moan <laughs> for the first 30 years of our life when we get carded. Yeah. How dare they card me? How dare they not think I'm over 21? (laughs) And now we spend the next 30 years of our life
1: bitching that we don't get carded? Is that the way it works? It's exactly what I'm doing. I just, I can't believe she could look at me with uh, essentially a costume on. Don't you remember when you used to sneak
0: into movies that you didn't pay to get into? You go to the big movie theater, and you buy tickets to a G-rated show, and then you'd slip into Porky's. You don't remember doing that?
1: (laughs) Porky's, I was eight. But yes, I I remember. I I still can't believe this worked, but, you know, there'd be five of us. We'd buy three tickets or something. One person would go out with the three stubs, give them to people waiting outside, then they would just walk in and flash the stub. I can't believe that actually worked. First of all, that there was no <laughs> that there was no safeguard against that. But I really didn't have three dollars for a movie anyway. Yeah, I so do why didn't you just why didn't you just rip off your mask, rip
0: off your headsets, rip off everything, your hat, and say, "Look at me, look at me! Don't you want to see my ID?" I, I could know. be 16. Don't I look 16? I could be 18. And then have the person say, nah, you're over 21.
1: <laughs> Next time I'm just going to pull the shirt up and flash my abs real quick. That, that'll do it. Oh, that'll, that'll do it. She'll a, know for sure then. What abs? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, not a peep from peep.
0: Shoddy. Have you noticed? Now, I know we talked about this at 125p. I don't want to go into the the Brian Schottenheimer, Pete Carroll thing. Philosophical differences. We talked about that on episode one, whatever it was, 125P. How about the fact that not even a tweet, a whisper, nothing from Brian Schottenheimer, not a, hey, thanks, Seattle. It was great to be here. I I loved my time in the Northwest. Go Hawks or... Or an interview with like Greg Bell or Brady Henderson or Joe Fan or somebody on TV, Paul Sylvie, or maybe in his hometown newspaper somewhere, somewhere else where we get to see it. Not even a peep
1: from Brian Schottenheimer. What does that tell you? Does that tell you anything? Well, I was going to ask you, does, that, does it tell you that he's pissed off and if he, he doesn't want to lie and say, thank you, I had a great yes. time? Yes. Is that what it tells you? Well,
0: no, it doesn't tell me that. It makes me feel like he's not happy about the yep. way things ended. Even people who aren't happy with the way things end, oh, they all write a tweet that says, hey, thank you, Seattle. Thanks for, yeah. it was great being here in the Pacific. You know, the bullshit tweet. Sure. I, I wanted the bullshit shoddy tweet. I didn't even get the <laughs> bullshit tweet.
1: Come on. Even if it's inauthentic, you still want it. I still want the tweet.
0: <laughs> I just find it very bizarre that here we are five, six, seven days later and not even a sound from Brian Schottenheimer's camp as to... Uh, not, I don't even want an explanation. Yeah, I do want an explanation. Yeah. Because I, I'm starting to feel and I'm starting to hear about what happened on that fourth down play. We talked about this on 125P, that famous, that now infamous fourth down play in the playoff game against the Rams, that Schottie wanted to run a little play action, a little fake handoff, bootleg, getting yeah. Russell Wilson on the outside and maybe throwing, giving him an option to run or throw. And Pete Carroll did not want that. Pete Carroll wanted what we actually saw almost develop when they fall started, which was just the, the straight handoff up the middle. That's all what Pete Carroll wanted. And so, uh, yeah, I would like to hear Shottie's version of the story sometime. I don't expect that four or five days later, but I did expect the thank you, Seattle, the Schottenheimers love you. Thanks for supporting us for the three or four years that we're here. That's yeah. all. I expected well, the bullshit tweet. I wanted the bullshit tweet. What were the chances back three years ago when the the Eagles were being handled the Vince Lombardi trophy? Do you remember that? Nick Foles and the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. That happened three years, less than three years ago. What would have been the chances that I would tell you that in three years, the head coach over there will be looking for an offensive coordinator job and interviewing with his hometown Seattle Seahawks? How about that? What What does Doug Peterson do for? Does that do anything for you? The next The next offensive coordinator, Doug Peterson. What do you think?
1: It doesn't do a ton for me, but I I guess if if he comes in and he understands sort of what went wrong here with Russell, maybe he'll try to do the opposite. So yeah. I, I'm intrigued by I'm intrigued by him. I mean, at least he knows how to win a Super Bowl. That's something. I'll tell you why I like the idea. First of all, I think he's a hell of a nice guy. He's
0: from Ferndale, Washington. He Ooh. grew up going to the Kingdom and watching the Seahawks play. His parents had season tickets in the upper deck or in the second deck of the Kingdom. They went every week to Seahawks games. But not only that, he's a former quarterback. Do you remember when he played? He played for the Dolphins. He played yeah. for the Patriots, I think. He, played, he, played, he, was, he was around. He was a quarterback. He's a quarterback guy. He's a guy who empowers the quarterback. Mm. He's always done very well as a coordinator with quarterbacks. And the reason I like the idea is I'm scared of what Pete Carroll wants to do. I don't like the sound oh. of what Pete, <laughs> Car- Pete yeah. Carroll wants to run it more effectively and more often. I'm not a big run-first guy. I'm getting scared as a Seahawks fan hearing not that I love Schottenheimer per se, but I'm I'm worried about what Pete Carroll wants to do. Take this. I even tweeted out a picture of Fred Flintstone. I don't know if you saw that. I said breaking news: front runner has surfaced in, in Pete Carroll's offensive coordinator job. And I sent out a picture from Bedrock. I mean, right. it's like it's like from from caveman days. What he wants? He wants to run the ball. If he were to hire Doug Peterson. What that would mean to me, Doug Peterson, you know, a quarterback's guy, a passing guy, more of a passing guy than a running guy, that would tell me, that would ease my frustration and my pain and my worrying if he hired a guy like like Peterson, because I, that would tell me that he's not so, so, so connected with, I want to run the ball, I want to run the ball, I want to run the ball, and then I want to run it again. I like the idea of
1: Peterson. Hey, you know, Peterson called that, that ballsy play in the Super Bowl, the one where... I think Foles ran it in high school, maybe where, you know, Foles caught the touchdown. I don't know if yes, I remember. remember. Yeah, 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 he did. I mean, that was a ballsy call in a yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah. To call that play and he did it. So yeah. I just hope he doesn't come in and, and Pete goes, "Look, this is how it's going to go. If you don't listen to me, look what happened to the last guy. We're running the damn ball. I just, I hope that doesn't happen."
0: All right, other stuff going on. We've got the uh, the championship games set. Are you excited? Who are you picking? We've got the Bills and Chiefs. We don't know who's going to play quarterback. Obviously, for the Chiefs, we'll talk about that in a second. We've got the uh, the Bucks and the Pat. We got Tom Brady against
1: Aaron Rodgers. Oh. Hot shot! How about that? I can't believe it. Two Cockers <laughs> again. Who, who us or them? Well, all four of us. But uh, really, we're going to watch Tom Brady in a championship game against Aaron Rodgers. What year is this? <laughs> I, I guess it's good news for Seahawks fans in a way that you know it, it really. If you have a good quarterback, you can just keep throwing supporting casts around them and they can still keep you relevant if not better you know
0: how about the play that got patrick mahomes hurt how about the balls of andy Reid and a couple of different play calls in the chiefs game first of all i guess we can work our way backwards first of all fourth and an inch at his own 48 yard line i probably would have punted it to make um Cleveland go the length of the field. They have to score a touchdown. It's twenty two to seventeen. There's no yeah. way I'm there's no way I'm giving them an opportunity to stop us and get the ball at our forty eight yard line, having to go forty eight yards for a <laughs> touchdown. That's first one. Right. And then on top of it all, he takes a backup quarterback, Chad Henney, and he throws the ball on fourth and an inch for the first yeah. down.
1: As a Seahawks fan, I, I don't I can't even Identify that sort of creativity on offense. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm looking at. That's amazing. He throws it on fourth down. With a backup quarterback. With a backup quarterback. Oh right, by the God. way. Oh, God. And then the
0: play that gets Patrick Mahomes hurt, what's he doing? Why, why are they running a quarterback option in the NFL when the guy's hobbled already? He gets up. He looks like Tommy frickin' Hearns against Marvin Hagler. I mean, he looks he looks dazed and confused. Yeah. He looked like Trevor Burbick against Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why? Why are they running? Why are they running their all-world quarterback at a quarterback option and putting him in harm's way? What's
1: that? I guess you just do what got you there. You just do what you do. If you want to run that play, you're going to run it. You don't think about guys getting hurt. Patrick Mahomes doesn't think about it. you know when you're 25, that thing that never crosses your mind. I, I can't. I walk downstairs and wait for my knee to go out. Like that's 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 how I live life now, waiting for something to pop on me. But you know, 25, you just go play football and do what you do. But yeah, it's a shame. I hope he. I really hope he plays.
0: I just can't imagine if the fourth down and an inch play doesn't work, the Browns get the ball back, they go 48 yards, they score a touchdown in Kansas City. Now I know the Chiefs won the Super Bowl and know Andy Reid's the Pied Piper, mm-hmm. but what kind of what kind of criticism would Andy Reid be getting? On those two plays, the one play that gets his all-world quarterback hurt and then going for it from your own 48 and throwing it with a backup quarterback. Could you imagine the scrutiny of Andy Reid in the hours after that game if the Browns had come back and won that game? Sports talk in Kansas City would have been (laughs) lit up. And you know how the day started on Sunday. The NFL day started on Sunday before the games were even played with the report of Deshaun Watson – He's at wit's end with the Houston Texans. He wants out, and there are sources telling the ESPNs of the world he has played his last down in Houston, 25 years old. I'm going to ask Randy Mueller in this show, the former GM, when was the last – has there ever been a 25-year-old franchise all-world quarterback that's available, that was available to be had for the right price? 4,823 yards, Hotshot Scott, last year. 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions. He had a 113 passer rating, much better than Russell Wilson. 444 yards rushing, five yards a carry. And he has said that he prefers the Miami Dolphins. And on top of it all, he posted a picture of himself on Instagram wearing an Atlanta Falcons Jacket, Letterman's jacket. Oh, really? Yes, because he's from Atlanta. He's from Atlanta. I guess he's a lifelong Falcons fan. So he's stoking the fire by posting himself of pictures in other teams' jackets. Amazing.
1: But we know how this works. He can want out all he wants, but correct. The Texans hold the cards. uh, That's exactly right. I mean, well, this might all be for might be for all for not. I guess is the. He doesn't have to play.
0: They don't hold every card. He doesn't have to play. What if he says, "I'm not going to play. I'll retire." I'm not going to play.
1: Yeah, those checks stop coming in. (laughs) I mean, that's, you know, you get used to those big paychecks coming in. I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough one for him. But I I, I just, I don't, how is Houston going to get rid of him? Didn't Peter King call him a a top five quarterback in the league? He's definitely a top five quarterback. Yeah. I mean, Houston's just going to let him go because he's disgruntled? I don't know. Well, I don't don't know. know.
0: You're not going to let him go. You're going to get a King. You may get the biggest price. I mean, think about it. If, if, in fact, a 25-year-old franchise quarterback has never been available on the trade market, if that's the case, then you're going to get a bigger package for him than any trade in the history of the National Football League.
1: Yeah, I'm excited for this offseason. I can't wait to see what happens All with right, this. Th-
0: let's put it in terms of what the Seahawks paid for Jamal Adams. Do you remember? It was like a boatload of first-round draft choices yeah. and and players and whatever Jamal Adams fetched as a safety Deshaun Watson's going to get that much more as a franchise quarterback. It's going to be nuts. Yeah. It's going to be nuts.
1: What, what kind of team you think? Could, well, I mean, obviously everyone can use him, but who's going to pay that price? Here's the fear.
0: Here's my biggest fear. A, we talked about this on the last patron show. I would do it if I were the Dolphins. If they're asking for Tua, and their number three pick and their number eighteen pick. They've got two first mm-hmm. round picks and Tua. I would make that trade if I were the Dolphins. That's how. That's how much I think of Deshaun Watson. And that's not a negative thought. Although I know you you turned it around on me. I, I don't mean that to be a negative of Tua. I think Tua has a chance. Has a chance to be a great NFL quarterback. A chance. Deshaun okay. Watson is a yeah. great quarterback and will be a great quarterback for the next ten years. Or 12 Mm -hmm. years, Deshaun Watson going to be a great quarterback. Tua might be a great quarterback. He also might not be a very good NFL quarterback. Here's my fear. The San Francisco 49ers. Oh. Think about if John Lynch were to swing a massive deal, give him a whole ton of draft choices, first-round draft choices, players, a young player here and there, and they were to bring Deshaun Watson into this division – to play quarterback for the 49ers. Think about the Rams, 49ers, Cardinals, Seahawks. How you'd feel as a Seahawks fan about that.
1: Brutal. Absolutely brutal if they do that. I would hate that more than anything. And they're probably going hey, we'll throw in Jimmy G. You heard of him? Yeah. Take him. He's yours. Just give him a- oh man. Is it a team that's that's horrible that needs that needs a quarterback to kind of build from, or is it a team like the, the Niners are a good team? Both. Or is it a team like it's both? both you think? Okay, both. yeah. I mean, who's I'll who's going to pay that price? I'll give
0: you another. So I just gave you two. I think Miami yeah. will consider pay, paying the price. Okay. I think San Francisco would consider paying the price. I'll give you another one. You don't think Bill Belichick? Oh. How about the Patriots? Yeah. What if Bill Belichick just said, we're just gonna give him all of our draft? We'll give you we'll give you every draft choice, every first round draft choice we have for the next fifteen years. Wait, <laughs> wow. What would the Patriots look like with Deshaun Watson playing quarterback?
1: Yeah, that's that you're right. So it so it sounds like teams that are that are good. Not really good, as ma- mainly who's in the market for him, you think? Like the, a team where a quarterback like Deshaun Watson could get him potentially over that hump Correct. and into the Super Bowl Correct. as opposed to the Jets.
0: But the glory of him, well, the, the other thing is he's got a no-trade clause in his contract. So okay. th- so he can determine whether he'll play at another team or not. He would, oh. not, he would not take a Jets. He would not take a Jets trade. I he see. probably wouldn't take a Jackson. What if Jacksonville said, we'll give you Trevor Lawrence? And a bunch of other picks. You give us Deshaun Watson. He probably would only okay a trade to a team that he feels like when he steps on the field, okay, now we're championship contenders. And that's San Francisco. That's Miami. That's New England. And I'm sure I can come up with a bunch more if you'd like. Two other things. Well, I'll save the other things for the other stuff segment because we got three good interviews. Let's do the three interviews. I think you're really, if you'll give Fred Clare a chance, 85-year-old Fred Clare, I think you'll like that interview. I think you'll love the Randy Mueller interview. And if you're interested in golf and you want to know if Chambers Bay has a legitimate shot to be the host of the PGA Championship next year, 2022, you'll get the answer in our third interview segment. It's time for a little money management trivia with Evergreen Golf Calls lead financial planner, Katie Versio. And I'm gonna be honest, Katie, Happy New Year. I don't like my chances on these multiple choice questions.
4: (laughs) Happy New Year, Mitch. Thank you so much for having me today. It's great to have you.
0: Go ahead. Question number one.
4: So first question, what's the median age for retirement for individuals in the US?
0: I'm thinking that people are living longer, people are healthier longer. So I would say mid to high sixties. I'll go 67, Katie.
4: (laughs) So it's actually 62 think that they will be able to work longer and longer that you know they need to save up and work as long as possible but unfortunately their skills aren't as relevant or they have illnesses or family things they have to end up retiring earlier wow
0: do you give partial credit are you a teacher that gives partial credit <laughs> <laughs>
4: i'll give you a b for that one
0: <laughs> all right i'll take question number two go ahead
4: so what type of retirement account allows for tax-free withdrawals Is it a traditional IRA, a SEP IRA, a Roth IRA, or a simple IRA?
0: Don't know the differences between all of them.
4: (laughs) There's uh, a lot of acronyms there. I
0: I, I hear a lot of IRAs. I had an uncle IRA. I'll go a SEP IRA.
4: So actually the correct answer is Roth IRA. (laughs) the other ones that I mentioned are pre-tax so you get a tax deferral when you contribute but a Roth IRA you actually don't get a deduction when you make a contribution but it comes out tax free
0: I'm 0 for 2 although I got partial credit (laughs) on number one I'm going for the third go ahead question number three
4: so what type of medical expense account offers the largest tax benefit is it a health savings account a flex savings account or a money market account
0: i noticed you only gave me three this time you're trying yeah. to help me out here it's a one out of three although i've got a health savings account i like it i'm gonna go with the hsa the traditional hsa
4: yes that is correct ah. That was a a little bit of an easier one with only three. A money market does not have any tax benefits. A flex savings account, you get a tax deduction when you contribute to it, but you have to use it within a year. So it's kind of a use it or lose it. But a health savings account, you get the tax deduction when you contribute and you can invest those funds like a retirement account, and then you can take money out down the line. So it gets a lot of good tax-deferred growth.
0: Some good information from Katie Versio. She's a lead financial planner at our buddies at Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest.
5: Unfiltered.
3: Five-two Dodgers in the night. 1969 Mets. It's the impossible dream revisited. I'm fucking pissed off to lose a fucking game. And you ask me my opinion of his performance. I mean, that's a tough question to ask me, isn't it? What is my opinion of his
2: performance? Yes, it is. I asked it, and you gave me an answer. Well,
4: I didn't give you a good answer because I'm mad. But I mean, that well, wasn't that's, a good question. It's a tough question to ask me right now. What is my opinion of this performance?
6: Hall of Fame manager Tommy Lasorda has died at the age of 93. At the Los Angeles Dodgers just announcing that moments ago. The team says Lasorda suffered a sudden heart attack at his home last night. He just left the hospital the day before after being there for about seven weeks.
0: Well, the sports world lost the legendary Tommy Lasorda last week at the age of 93. Our next guest spent the bulk of his career with the L.A. Dodgers, 30 years in fact. Many of them as the general manager. He was there when Tommy Lasorda joined the Dodgers as a coach in 1973. He's Fred Clare, and Mr. Clare is with us on on Mitch Unfiltered. It's great to have you with us, Fred. A privilege. Great to be with you. Thank you. Heard you use the word passion four times when describing Lasorda last week <laughs> in, a, in a recent interview. Describe why you use that word so often.
3: Uh, well, that's the word that I think of when I think of Tommy. Just his pure joy of life, of the game that he loved, and everything that he did. It was all from the heart. It was all from great energy, it was all sincere and as it develops it's all legendary.
0: You said he knew every player's wife by name and every player's kids by name.
3: and that is um, absolutely true and the players themselves could uh, could and certainly would testify to that. He cared about his players, and he cared about the families of his players, and it was a way of really bringing everyone together, not doing so, in my view, because he thought this would be a good plan. That was so because that's who Tommy was, and what's really been amazing and satisfying, the number of pictures of Tommy with fans and friends posted on social media must have established a record if they keep (laughs) such a record. Because everyone that met Tommy has a Tommy story. And uh, probably in the last 20 years or so, or certainly since cell phones, everyone has a picture with Tommy. (laughs) And that truly is the the essence of his legacy.
0: Uh, I sure hope that you will... Share with us a a fun story or two before it's all said and done. Fred, was he a great baseball technician or was he just a great players manager, kind of a CEO, kind of a PR guy?
3: Well, Tommy knew the game certainly from uh, the ground up and all of his experience as a minor league player, as a professional player, in the minor leagues, in winter ball, in Cuba, uh, wherever he went, so he understood the game totally, so Tommy doesn't get the credit that he deserves in terms of of knowing the game. Some people say, well, you know, he was just someone who motivated players. Mm-hmm. Tommy knew and understood the game, but the key part of that is he was able to weave in and know how the players would fit best in a important situation. So that was the, his strength, is knowing the game and knowing his players. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's in the Hall of Fame, because he earned his way there. So you think he
0: would have been a world champion and Hall of Famer had he managed in Cleveland or had he managed in Atlanta or if he had managed in Houston, wouldn't have mattered where he was.
3: Well, Tommy would be the first to say this and knowing Tommy, uh, he might have been uh, if he had had the players <laughs> because no one yeah. acknowledged uh, the players more than Tommy. Uh, he was not a, uh, a person who said we won because I made the right moves. He was a person who won because he was, had the ability to get the, the very most out of his players and the loyalty that his players had to him. But I think that um, Tommy, Tommy's passion for the game was such that if he had been with uh, the Cleveland Indians or with any team, his loyalty to that team and his promotion of that team would not have been any different than it was for the Dodgers. He simply had a bigger audience in Los Angeles than you would in most cities.
0: You know, I sit up here in Seattle, and I understand that the first time you ever met Tommy, do you remember? He was the manager in Spokane. Is that correct? 1969.
3: Well, I'll never forget it because it was uh, 1969 is when I joined the Dodgers as a reporter for the Long Beach newspaper. And uh, so going to Dodger Town for the first time. Tommy was the manager of the Spokane team. Tommy and I became immediate friends. And we would go out to dinner, usually with a, a fellow a journalist and dear friend of mine, the late John Weebush. And uh, quite often with someone from the scouting or player development department. We, we would go out to dinner two, three times a week. I, uh, due to a challenge by Tommy, uh, end up playing shortstop for the Spokane <laughs> Indians in an inter-squad game. In fact, replaced Bobby Valentine really? at shortstop. And how'd it go for you? Uh, It went uh, memorable. Um, What what had transpired uh, and keep in mind, I was a relatively young guy at the time, uh, the age of most of the uh, many of the Dodger players, 33. So Tommy and I became friends and um, at one of the dinners or maybe more than one. Uh, either he asked me or I told him that, yeah, I played a little high school baseball, probably bragged a little. I don't know that I was totally forthcoming. I didn't tell him it was at the junior varsity level. But in any case, he said, uh, and and Tommy always enjoyed challenging people. He said, uh, well, how would you like to take infield with our team one day? And I said, sure, Tommy. I mean, I, I knew I could pick up a ground ball. I mean, I was active and. Yeah. Staying active as a runner and basketball, uh, not playing much baseball at that time. So one spring day, early in the uh, spring training exhibition season, I'm about to get on the bus to go to uh, Orlando to cover the Dodger game, and Tommy's managing Spokane, and they're playing Bakersfield on a field at Dodger Town, right near where the bus is parked. So Tommy sees me getting on the bus. And he comes over and he said, uh, Hey, Fred, I thought you said you wanted to uh, play with us one day. And I could see that they were warming up for a game. I said, Tommy, I said I wanted to take infield. He says, Okay, pal, you get on that bus and never mention it to me again. And I started coming backwards off the steps of the bus. And I said, Okay, pal, where do I get my uniform? And he said, you go down, you see Jim Muey in the minor league clubhouse and get a uniform and come back. Got my uniform and came back. And he said, um, I said, okay, Tommy. He says, oh, okay, he says, go warm up down the right field line, which I did. I come back and he said, okay, uh, go, I want you to coach first base. I was up to any challenge that Tommy gave, and that remained throughout our lives. And I said, okay, pal, I didn't come here to coach and Tommy says, all right, then, next <laughs> inning, you replace Bobby Valentine's shortstop, oh. which I did. Yeah. And so I finished that uh, spring training game uh, as the shortstop for the uh, Spokane team. So it was a start uh, that spring was the start of a wonderful 30-year friendship with Tommy. Um. And uh, neither one of us could have predicted in that spring day in 1969 that we would be standing together and hoisting the World Series trophy uh, nearly uh, 30 years later. We, as the years went on, we worked together. Uh, we challenged one another, certainly when I became the general manager. But no matter what happened when we came out of a meeting, or in any case, we, we were Dodgers together. Tommy, for... for Many years referred to me in any introduction as as being as close as any of his brothers. So that meant a lot to me. And the friendship with such a, um, a wonderful man uh, means a lot to me today. By the
0: way, Mr. Clare, when you say that you and Tommy started going to dinner two, three times a week, for those of us that are old enough to remember Tommy from his heyday, I can't imagine that there was a better guy to go to dinner with for a lot of reasons. First of all, he knew the best restaurants in town. He really could eat. Number two, there was no better storyteller, I don't think, although I'm listening to you tell a great story, than Tommy Lasorda. And I would imagine as he became more and more successful,
3: he might even pick up the tab on occasion. Uh, that, that was <laughs> uh, that, is, that is all factual. And, uh, uh, but keep in mind at this time, Tommy is an unknown manager of the Spokane Indians.
4: <laughs>
0: Mr. Claire, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the day you became general manager of the Dodgers. You had been in the Dodgers organization for a long time and then came about April 6, 1987. Again, it's a long time ago, but I remember it vividly. Al Campanis made those horrific remarks on Nightline, I believe, to Ted Koppel. He was removed from baseball, removed from the Dodgers, and you became the general manager of the Dodgers I understand it was maybe a little bumpy because uh, Tommy Lasorda would have liked to have become the general manager slash manager of the L.A. Dodgers. No?
3: Well, I will tell the story. And uh, hereafter, you reference me as Fred because we've gotten to know one another, and I feel too young uh, to uh, be called Mr. Okay. Uh, But it is true. In uh, 1987, the Dodgers opened the season in Houston. On that opening, uh, it was the 40th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier to become a major league player. So uh, ABC had planned to interview Al and had reached out to Al in his office at the Astrodome after the game. I was in marketing at that time with the Dodgers, publicity marketing I guess, I don't remember the exact title. And uh, none of us were aware that Al was going to go on Nightline, so we had no awareness of that. But as well-documented, and sadly so in so many ways uh, from the standpoint of Al and his legacy and his own history, really, uh, in terms of the many things he accomplished, Al went on uh, Nightline, made really unfortunate remarks trying to defend... His his beloved game of baseball, why aren't there more minorities at the top level of Major League Baseball, and uh, set off a firestorm. And uh, so that's after opening day in Houston. It was to be a three-game series. And before the start of the third and final game in Houston, Peter O'Malley, the owner of the team, called me, and uh, he said, Fred, um, and we had talked about what was transpiring, because I was in Los Angeles and seeing full blast." Uh, what was happening in response, and uh, Peter called me and said, Fred, uh, you have to take this job. Uh, I had been with the Dodgers nearly 20 years, Um, had become very familiar with baseball operations, Uh, been in many, many of Al's meetings and meetings with Walter Alston, et cetera. And um, so that I uh, accepted the job, uh, we met the next day, opening day at Dodger Stadium, I said, Peter, I just want to make one thing very clear, something I probably really didn't have to say, but I said, I just want to um, be sure in accepting this job that I have full, total, complete authority, uh, thinking to myself that if they were going to fire me, which and most general managers ultimately get fired, as you know, I wanted it to be for my decisions. Uh, So Tommy, uh, I took over in 87. Tommy is the manager, made a number of changes in 87 before the 88 season. The players that I brought in, whether it was Kirk Gibson or Alfredo Griffin or Jay Howe or John Shelby or Rick Dempsey or Mickey Hatcher, many of them coming from the American League. The fact is that whatever Tommy's desire may have been to be a general manager, He never showed that Uh, he simply um, uh, was receptive to all of those players and did everything he could to bring a team together that for two seasons in a row had been 16 games under 500. Brought that team together and managed that team to a world championship.
0: Fred, let's fast forward to the end of your run with the Dodgers. I read uh, so many articles in preparing for this chat with, with uh, you today, and thank you so much for it. I know that maybe on your way out, you said some things that you, you, maybe you wish you hadn't said, and it strained the relationship. I think our audience would be interested to know that story, but even more importantly, the so-touching story of your reunion several years later.
3: Well, thank you, and, and thank you for doing the, uh, the background the the end of my career with the Dodgers came about when the Fox people that had taken over the ownership and were trying to uh, get the rights to in Florida to establish a sports network that would include the Marlins, as I understand it, right at the time, because they had these salaries that they needed to get rid of because before they could figure out their financial future. So a Fox executive made the trade to take on some of those salaries, including Bobby Vanilla and Gary Sheffield, and sent Mike Piazza uh, to the Marlins in exchange without telling me. And so I was, and I won't prolong all of that, much as that is covered in the book, Fred Clare, My 30 Years in Dodger Blue. I was furious that a trade would be made uh, without the involvement, without the direction uh, the general manager of the Dodgers. I thought it undermined the the Dodgers baseball organization. was not something that could ever happen again. Uh, you can't run an organization that way. Thirty years, I certainly had an understanding. Ultimately really led to um, my firing in uh, 1998 because Fox was upset with me because they really wanted me to say that I had made the trade. And I told them, it's not as if I have made a bad trade, but if you think I'm going to lie to the fans and to the media, you got the wrong guy. I'm not going to do that. I was fired. Tommy was named the interim general manager. Tommy, one of his first moves, and and he had a right to make any move that he wanted to make. Uh, But one of the first moves was to uh, let go or to remove from their positions uh, Reggie Smith, Mark Cressy. And the pitching coach, Glenn Gregson, all oh, long-time great contributors to the Dodgers. I was very upset with Tommy. Honestly, I, I was probably as upset with those firings as I was with my own. And uh, I told Tommy that uh, I thought he handled that very poorly, and uh, that created a strain in our relationship. Uh, fast forward from that, that was 1998. And so 2018... I'm asked to go back to Dodger Stadium throughout the first pitch.
0: You were fighting for your life, fighting
3: for your health when you saw Tommy that day? Yeah, can you? What I had you- been diagnosed with cancer in, uh, in my jaw in 2016. Tommy, at that particular old-timers game, and I guess that game was 2017, Tommy uh, had just come out of the hospital he was not in the best of health. In fact, uh, before the game, I was walking on the club level with my two daughters, Jennifer and Kim, and here comes Tommy in a little motor cart with his uh, uh, attendant, uh, Felipe. And so, uh we met there on the club level. I reached down or to hug Tommy, and um we hadn't spoken in a while, and uh I knew what I wanted to say, and I said, Tommy, I just want you to know that I love you. And Tommy says, Fred, I love you. And so with the friendship that had been so long and so wonderful in so many ways, it was wonderful to um, to have that opportunity. In some ways, it's a um, a lesson for all of us. We never know how much time we have left. Can
0: you... Describe your last conversation with Tommy, if you would be willing to do that.
3: We spoke before he got out of the hospital. And then, of course, he passed away a few days later. But it was a conversation, like many of our recent conversations, knowing the challenge that Tommy was facing, talking a little baseball, letting him know that he was in my thoughts and my prayers. And the last words that I said to him is, Tommy, take good care. And I love you. So that was the last conversation.
0: Well, now that I know that you don't like to be referred to as Mr. Clare because you're too young for that, <laughs> and I also know that you have a great arm, the Mariners up here could use a shortstop, and I'm,
3: I'm happy to call over there on your behalf. Uh, you have any innings left in you? I sure do. I, I sure do. And, in fact, when I was going to throw out the first pitch, uh. Uh, invited to throw out the first pitch, I was determined. I was just coming off a big battle with cancer. Uh-huh. I was determined. I was going to throw out that first pitch from the rubber ah. on the mound, On the in mound. front of the mound. Yeah. So my wonderful wife Cheryl, uh, when she knew about what I had been invited to do, she said, "When's the last time that you threw a pitch?" And I said, Cheryl, I've been throwing a baseball all of my life. She said, I understand that. When was the last time? And I said, well, it was probably 20 years ago. So Cheryl shows up one day. She knew I had a a glove uh, in the house with another glove and uh, a baseball. And so we have a um, a very nice driveway in front of our home, and it allows for 60 feet, 6 inches. So for about 10 days, uh, Cheryl and I played catch. Oh. So when that day came, and I asked Mickey Hatcher, the first player I signed, to be on the receiving end, no doubt in my mind, I was going to throw a strike. Curveball or slider? No, just fastball. <laughs> yeah, just fastball. I, I, uh, I, said to, I said to Mickey, uh, before I threw out the first pitch, and there's a picture of him absolutely breaking up, I said, Mickey... Just want to say one thing. I hope you're wearing a cup because I got a lot of heat on this <laughs> fastball. <laughs> what a delightful uh,
0: 15 or 20 minutes. Fred Clare, joining us, the, the old general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, spent 30 years with the organization and was a true blue friend of Tommy Lasorda. Great to have you on Mitch Unfiltered. I hope that the, the new year brings health and prosperity to you and your family, Mr. Clare. Thank you for doing
3: this. Thank you so much, and the uh, same to you. Stay safe and good health. God bless
0: Next up on Mitch Unfiltered, my buddy Dapper Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza, is back on the Zeke's Pizza hotline. And Mitch Unfiltered, all the men and women over at Zeke's are celebrating their new Kenmore location, which opened a few weeks ago across from City Hall. Happy New Year, Dan.
5: Hey, thanks, Mitch. Happy New Year to you. I like the new nickname.
0: (laughs) I got to tell you that the family went to the Woodland Park Zoo the other night to see the Wild Lanterns exhibit, and we stopped at the Finney location, ordered some chopped salads, brought it with us, some Zeke's pizza. Fantastic, fantastic
5: spot. Yeah, Finney's busy right now because of all the action at the zoo. You're doing what a lot of families are doing right now, and I love the chopped salad too, and I like the Finney location too because we're mainly doing takeout and delivery. Finney is one of the locations that has outdoor seating on the deck with heaters and
0: tents and stuff, so it's a good location right now. Are you starting the year strong? How is takeout and
1: delivery? It is strong. A little bit of dining room business, like I say, places where we have outdoor seating, but it's it's about takeout, delivery, and beer delivery right now, and that's it's strong like it has been during COVID, and we're going to keep going with it.
0: Use the Zeke's Pizza app like the Levy family does. You can also find them at Zeke'sPizza.com, homegrown in the Northwest.
5: Unfiltered.
6: With the first selection in the second round, number 32 overall, the San Diego Chargers have selected quarterback from Purdue, Drew Breeze. Fourth and goal. Man.
0: Incomplete. The Saints are going to do it.
2: Brady and Breeze come together for what is likely the final
0: time on a football field. With uniforms on and Brady is the one who gets to celebrate after this one. Our next guest on this episode 126. Well, he began his NFL front office career right here in Seattle. Then, the Saints GM, the Dolphins GM, he's the former executive of the year in the NFL. He's my old pal, Randy Mueller. What, what, when's Randy Mueller's book coming out? That's what I want to know. My goodness. Who's got more stories than Randy Mueller? How are you, Randy?
6: I'm doing great, Mitch. Good to be with you. Yeah, that book uh, makes me feel old. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever write a book, but it, it's a pretty good campfire with a beer in your hand. Oh, I can tell you on. that. Come on. You got to <laughs> write
0: it. I, Here's what I figure. I figure that Tom Benson would get a chapter. <laughs> I figure that Nick Saban's Dolphins Adventure with... Uh, with Randy Mueller, would have a chapter <laughs> or <maybe>. two.
6: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: were yeah, you no. were you were you here
6: for a year with Mike Holmgren? Yep. Too? Yeah. Yep. I that, was here for Mike's first year. Okay. Yep.
0: <laughs> that might get a chapter. There's got to be a Drew Brees, Dante Culpepper Ooh. chapter in there, doesn't there? No doubt. How no about, doubt
6: about it. How about Bill Parcells? Does he yep. get it? Does he... <laughs> <laughs> I've been lucky. I've been with some, and you, and you already didn't get into the Seahawks stuff with no. Dennis and and the two owners at one time and oh the whole my, bit. So, oh, my yeah.
0: <laughs> gosh. Oh, my gosh. What great. Yes, that's a great campfire. I want to be invited to the campfire. You know what? Let's t- tell a few of them. Let, let's start with your year. So Holmgren comes in, obviously, with all the fanfare and the Super Bowl, and he's going to take full uh, authority of the organization that left you kind of in a in a middle ground right for that year.
6: Yeah, it was actually uh a really good time for me. I enjoyed with all sincerity my time with Mike for sure. We had a pretty good team when Dennis was let go and Mike came and so I knew we'd have a chance to win and I learned a lot from Mike. I enjoyed in fact I signed a a longer term extension during my first year with Mike Uh and uh, thought I'd be here forever. Things changed. The NFL is different, different opportunities present themselves. And uh, I remember standing on a practice field the last year I was in Seattle when Mike uh, was here and, and we won the division that year. We went on to the playoffs in fact played a, the last game in the kingdom, uh, losing to your dolphins. Uh-huh. It, Trace yeah.
0: Armstrong. Trace That's right.
6: <laughs> That's right. I remember standing on the practice field in Kirkland and the rumors had come out about the saints looking to hire a GM and this and that. And Pete Kendall, who you probably remember sure, sure. dry sense of humor, very matter of fact, you know, that Boston, uh, yeah. cop, uh, uh, dialect. <laughs> he, he said, Hey, ready, I remember, I see your name out there with the, uh, new Orleans saints. Yeah. And I remember telling Pete, Mitch, I said, Hey, they could pay me millions of dollars and I would never go to new Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> and Two weeks later, I, I ended up going to new Orleans. So never say never. So, you never know. Now hold on a
0: second. So this is where Nick Saban got it. He got it from you when he said, I am not interested in that Alabama. I am not going to be the Alabama head coach. He stole a page. I never realized he stole a page out of the Randy Mueller to Pete Kendall playbook. Is that right?
6: Maybe that's why why Nick and I got along so good. We had a couple of great years in Miami.
0: <laughs> I mean, we should tell everybody when Mike Holmgren came in here and he was going to have full control over the organization, otherwise he wasn't going to leave Green Bay. Right. For somebody in your situation, I mean, that's right. that's the dream, right? You want to get a job. Right. You want to get a an opportunity in the NFL to be able to make final personnel decisions. And so right. off to New Orleans, you go. Talk about the Saints experience and working for Tom. Ben- I understand. I read somewhere, along the line that he had offered you or you were in negotiation to extend your contract and then all of a sudden he says you know what that's it we've had enough
6: that's exactly right actually I went from here to New Orleans and this is the only place I'd ever known Seattle right I had been here 18 years I started as a ball boy when I was 17 years old so I was just at a point in my life where if I was ever going to make a change, this might be the time to do it, you know, experience something new. Right. So I, I go from Bellevue, Washington to Mandeville, Louisiana. And that that's about like going to a third world country at times, you know, and the, the, the year I spent there, our first year, we won the division, the saints won their first playoff game. We made a massive change amount of change there. And it was really positive. I loved my time in new Orleans. I spent really only two seasons there. And yes, uh, to answer your question, Tom had offered me a contract extension. I remember to this day, it it was a fair deal. It was a three-year deal, but he had sent me on a marketing junket through the Gulf South where I had to go with our marketing people. And I was out drumming up, uh, you know, uh, ticket sales and marketing deals and all that. And so I was gone for a whole week when I came back the next thing I know I'm in his office and he's asking me to resign. (laughs) I think he was maybe uptight that I hadn't taken his deal yet. I don't know, but obviously it was a great setup for me there. I'll say this, Mitch, and I have had a few stops along the way, but that was probably the best time in my professional career, my two years with the saints. Yeah. I really liked it. The people there were awesome. They, they welcomed us with open arms and, and it really for a kid from North Idaho, a little logging town to, to be able to go down there and have people, you know enjoy you and like you and accept you it was awesome was there a ricky williams trade story that i'm supposed to ask you about <laughs> well how about this and then that, <laughs> that's crazy yes obviously this was the year after ditka had given away the farm to get ricky williams right traded away a whole draft who
0: was in so a wedding dress was ricky williams
6: in a wedding dress ricky williams <laughs> was in in a wedding dress ditka was wearing some kind of a bridesmaid costume on sports <laughs> illustrated it was crazy <laughs> Well, yes. And I, and I got there and was there a year and, and, uh, had done enough research on Ricky. And I actually liked Ricky a lot to know that this wasn't going to be a good spot. This wasn't going to work for him. So we ended up trading him to Miami for two number one picks. Lord be known three years later, when I get to Miami, uh, <laughs> guess what? He, one guy wasn't, he wasn't as happy to see me as everybody else when I walked in the room, but no, Ricky and I got along good. Uh, Again, I, I was a guy that traded him uh, to Miami and the first guy he met uh, oh, when I got God. there. So he it's, picked it's it. a small world.
0: He picked you up at the
6: airport to bring you, <laughs> bring you in. Okay,
0: now that this weekend has come and gone and I think we've seen the, the, the end of an unbelievable career at quarterback in Drew Brees, yep. uh, everybody let's put it this way anybody who ever paid attention to the Miami Dolphins still talks about the story the Dolphins yep. were in the market for a new quarterback there was Drew Brees in an injury situation there was Dante Culpepper you were there I don't know if Nick say I guess Nick Saban was there with you
6: yeah tell- Nick Nick was the head coach and I was the GM Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah tell the story how you decided to go with Dante Culpepper which allowed Brees to end up in New Orleans and the rest as they say is history Randy yeah
6: well we didn't actually decide to go with Dante Culpepper I, I remember to, to this day I I had a deal already structured and done on a napkin in my pocket, Mitch, that I had worked out with uh, Tom Condon, uh-huh. who was Drew Brees' agent. Nick and I had met with him on opening day morning of free agency and kind of planned the whole deal out. We had decided this was the guy we wanted. So he was going to New Orleans first, and then he came to Miami on his second free agent visit. And in the meantime, Tom and I had kind of worked out a deal and, and had it done. So he was coming really for a coronation and then for us to announce him to be the quarterback of the Dolphins. We had a jersey made up for the press conference and everything. It was crazy. And come to find out when we're getting the physical, uh, they find that they're not happy with the shoulder. You know, he it, it just coming off a horrific injury with the Chargers where they actually let him go because of the shoulder. Well, our doctors told us this guy's not going to play again. They said his shoulder is so bad that he might not be able to throw and play again. And the percentages, the odds that they gave us were astronomical against us. So we're talking about a 10 year deal or $10 million a year deal at the time, which would have been giant six years. It was a $60 million deal. Nick and I were crushed. I mean, we, this guy was going to be our guy. And so was Drew. And so, as the story goes, we couldn't make the deal. The medical information was just too risky for us to even do. So he ends up going to back to new Orleans and science with him, right. but he was distraught as we were that wow. this, we couldn't make this happen. And then we ended up making a deal for Pepper because we needed to have somebody. So sure. the Pepper decision was a, fallback decision, and in fact, Nick and I to this day, most times when we talk, we say, you know, if we'd have been able to overrule the doctors, we'd both still be in Miami right now. Well, what
0: I want to <laughs> know is, is that doctor still practicing, and what's his name so I can avoid him? I don't want to yeah. send my brother or my mother to him down in South Florida.
6: <laughs> Here's the bad thing about that, and not many people know this. You'll appreciate it, knowing your Dolphin history like you do, Mitch. Yeah. The doctors at that time were really close with Wayne Heizinga. They were like his golfing buddies and his personal buddies, and Wayne owned the Dolphin Team, right. So we couldn't go against these guys. It just wasn't going to work out. I mean, for us, for for uh, uh, Wayne to decide with us and not his buddies, the doctors wasn't going to happen. So we had no choice in the matter. It was just sickening. And, yeah. you know, it's taken the Dolphins, what, 15 years to recover. And some say they might have might not have gotten there to this point. So, so we'll see.
0: Do you ever think about do you play the what if game? What what would have happened had the doctors given him a, a, a check or a thumbs up? And you were able to sign Drew Brees. Would he have had the career in Miami that he had in New Orleans? Would he have been surrounded by the right players? Would you still right. be the GM? Would um, Would Nick Saban still be the coach? Yeah. Uh, how, what are the dominoes to fall had right. Brees that's, stayed in Miami?
6: What, there's a movie there, right? There's uh. <laughs> seven degrees of separation or something. Huh? But no, that's, like I said, Nick and I truly talk about it, that we'd probably both still be there had we been able to make that decision. Mm. It was just crazy. And I don't know if we could have, duplicated what he did in new orleans so don't get me wrong the, the relationship he has with sean payton the things that they've done in new orleans unbelievable yeah. and the ironic thing about it was he goes from our place back to new orleans where all my buddies were the guys i brought with sure. me from seattle you know mickey loomis sure, sure, my brother sure. everybody was in new orleans at oh. the time so oh. it was all kinds of convoluted relationships and connections during that time and and it, again maybe his career has come to an end maybe it hasn't but what a run. Uh, unbelievable. What, 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 oh, what, unbelievable. Why Why do you
0: think their doctors were okay? They, their doctors didn't see it the same way, right?
6: I also know that they were desperate, too. This right. was a franchise saver for them. Right. For us, we had some other things going on. So right. okay. definitely a, a, a change of... Uh, philosophies medically, and you know, all doctors don't always agree. They always they can see things different. And in this case, this worked out, you know, for the Saints. Didn't work out for the Dolphins.
0: Randy, Randy Mueller is our guest, old friend Randy Mueller. Let's let's assume for a second, Randy, that the Houston Texans gave you the GM job without checking with Deshaun Watson first, and you were in the position that the new GM is in in Houston, where Deshaun now is angry. He doesn't want to play there anymore. There's all kinds of reports. He's played his last down in Houston. He wants out. He's 25 years old. First of all, A, what would you do now if you were in that poor guy's shoes, number one? Number two, when was the last time a 25-year-old franchise superstar quarterback might be available? I, I, I can't ever remember yeah. a 25-year-old quarterback with the pedigree that that uh, Deshaun Watson has. They're obviously talking about Miami and other teams are going to get in line.
6: How would you handle all this? Right. To answer your fir- last question first, I don't think it's ever happened. I don't think a guy of his stature is, has ever wanted to put himself on the market. I don't think anything will happen at the end of the day, but nevertheless, he, he has his uh, leverage points that he thinks are going to be a factor. Here's the thing. And, and, and I know this for a fact, the kid just wants to win. That's all he wants to do. And anybody who's know, known about the Texans and their history the last few years, it's been a bad environment. It's been a toxic environment there. And this kid just sees them going in the same direction. So he doesn't want any part of it. Trust me. He's not speaking just for himself. He's the leader of a team that all is behind him, in my opinion. I think the whole locker room is pushing Deshaun because Deshaun's the one guy that can make something like this happen to change the culture. Obviously, I would have first thing I would have done is got him on board. I mean, if the owner did truly promise him uh, to have input during the process and then didn't have a seat at the table when we sat down for dinner. That's wrong, right? So we had had to make up and and figure out a way to to make that right by him. But I don't see anything wrong with getting input from your best players. I think it would have been an easy sell to bring him jj watt in sit down talk about everything that has happened because i would have been new or the new gm is a new guy so i want to gather information and build a consensus i think that's all they want they're just like our kids they're like anybody they just want to be heard and that doesn't mean you have to do exactly what they want but i would have had no problem listening to where they're at in most cases i wouldn't want any part of that But in this case, I think there had been enough history there to where Deshaun had been promised some things. You have to, at some point, uh, then listen to your best player and bring him into the fold. You don't think he'll be moved? I really don't. um, But that's my opinion. I I don't see how you could move him because I think you'd need a Herschel Walker type deal to do it. Maybe the one team who could do it if they wanted to would be the Jets because they have the second pick. That's a they, valuable pick, and you might he, be able to get a quarterback. But
0: does he want to play for the Jets?
6: Well, I don't know, and that's the thing. He's got a no-trade clause in his contract, so he has input. There's no doubt.
0: You know, R- Randy Mueller, our guest, the former GM, Saints, Dolphins, was here in Seattle for so many years and resides here in Seattle. We, we've spent the last you know, several days here in the Northwest kind of analyzing what's gone wrong with the Seahawks, and John yeah. Schneider got a, a contract extension to 2025, We heard about it right after the loss to the Rams and everybody's evaluating, including myself. What what kind of job has John Schneider done the last five or six years? Talk to us as a former general manager. What is it that we fans might not understand or fully grasp about the challenges in 2021 of being an NFL general manager?
6: Well, I think the dynamics are different at every franchise mitch that's for sure and in this case i think we all understand and i could be wrong but i think pete has the keys to the castle right it's pete's decision at the end of the day so john can only do what him and pete can agree on it's not like john can just take his own route and and do things the way he wants so it's a collaboration and they've been awesome together for so many years so i would anticipate at some point those keys being passed from pete to john and eventually, John would hold the keys to making all these decisions. But it's hard in that the the, the teams are built now for long-term, and that's one or two years. <laughs> that's as crazy as it is, can be. Long-term now is two years in the NFL. So the long-term plans of a GM really don't factor in as much. Sure, you have to have a little bit of an eye on the future, but the future is right now and And sometimes that works well for coaches because that's usually what they think about the most anyway is winning right now. Uh I think these guys will work things out. I think they'll find a way to retool this team. But I do think, and you mentioned it, they have some retooling to do. There's no doubt about it. What do they need to do during the offseason? They've already made some changes. I I said, uh, you know, right when the season started, it didn't seem like their scheme was putting fear into anybody. The the offensive scheme was not stressing defenses. They've got an upgrade in coaches and players in their own division now that they've got to be comparable to. Whether it's Sean McVay with the Rams, whether it's uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers, and even Arizona to a point, they've upped their game as well. So you have really good coaches and really good staffs around the league. And and it's made the competition greater. So they can't sit still. They're going to have to make some changes. They're going to have to find a way to give a little juice to their offense, maybe at the, in the running game, maybe at tight end. They're going to have to find a, a – uh, other way to to give options to Russell Wilson in other words he's always had a go-to guy or two they might have to find a slot receiver I don't see that on this roster so there's three moves offensively that they can make their defense did get better they improved without a doubt and I think they're headed in the right direction there they're going to still have good players on defense
0: do you like Pete Carroll's proclamation We've got to run it more. He got rid of the offensive coordinator. We've got to run it more and more effectively. We're getting back to where we were when Marshawn Lynch was running the ball. You like that?
6: Um, I understand. (laughs) You know, I only hesitate because I understand what he's saying. But let's face it, it's become a passing league, right? If you're going to stress defenses, you're going to have to put the ball in the air and you're going to have to be able to attack all levels of the field. And I think that's one thing that's been missing. I just don't think they've had enough speed explosiveness in their offense to be able to attack and put fear into defenders. So they have to defend the whole field. Mm-hmm. They'll get ganged up on. I, I think one way to run it more efficiently is to upgrade your personnel and maybe find a back that, and nothing against Chris Carson, but find a back that has a little more juice and some flexibility that can make people miss. I do think that's an element that's missing. And again, they're, they're receivers, even though they put up big numbers, they're, they're kind of categorized. DK Metcalf is more of a straight line guy. Um, Lockett is a small kind of maneuver guy. They don't have a Doug Baldwin. They don't have a middle of, you know, uh, Cole Beasley or somebody like that that can be available to Russell when protections always often break down. And because it doesn't go like you draw it up on the board.
0: Let me give you a dicey one. When Jamal Adams comes to the Seahawks and his agent this offseason and says, no, we don't want to be the highest paid safety, Randy. That $15 or $16 million a year that Buda Baker, whoever it is, makes – we're we're bigger than that. We're not a safety. We're we're a we're a nine and a half, ten and a half sack guy playing the same. We're a defensive superstar. We want twenty million dollars a year. Twenty million dollars a year, average annual salary. There's eight or nine defensive players making that now. Um, that's what we want, or we're not interested. What do you say? What do you do? with Jamal Adams, if that's what he's standing with.
6: Well, I know what I would do. (laughs) I mean, There's no way I would pay that. I mean, he's, he's got limitations to his game, but having said that, I think this defense offers him the best way to be impactful that he could have because they'll find a way to scheme him. He may end up at some point being an inside linebacker because really that's what he does. He plays in the box. He comes downhill. He'll whack you, but he's deficient in the passing game. So he, he, he may be all these things in, in, in his own mind, but it's got to be with what Pete wants to do and with their scheme. I couldn't pay a guy like that, that kind of money. But I mean, there's a price where you're going to be able to agree at some point. That's for sure. Again, if he wants to play football, he'll eventually have to play for what they want him to play for.
0: We've got the championship game set now that the weekend has come and gone. We've got a bills chiefs game. We don't know who will be the quarterback of the chiefs. We've got a Green Bay Packers. Boy, is Aaron Rodgers playing great football? Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady in the NFC Championship game? Let's assume that Mahomes plays for a second. If Mahomes plays, which road team does Randy Mueller give a better chance to in championship
6: week? I give a better chance to Buffalo. I really do. I mean, Buffalo's what the hail Murray away from winning 12 or 13 in a row. They've just gotten better and better and better and more confident. I think they can, and they're very capable of going into Kansas city and giving them a game. I wouldn't be shocked if they went there and won the game either. So I like Buffalo. I have for the last month or so. I just think they have very few weaknesses. They can run the ball. They can, they, they have a variety of ways they can win the game. And I think that, gives them an advantage for sure.
0: Sounds like I've, you, sounds like you, go ahead, I'm sorry, but it sounds like you think the Packers are going to win it all.
6: I think the Packers are as good a team, uh, yes, right now as, as they've been at any point. And again, it comes with confidence, it comes with um, Matt LaFleur and in, in the offense uh, being on the same page with your quarterback I just think they're all on the same page as well defensively they're good enough but I think Aaron Rodgers is really good and, and it'd be a fun game to see him and and Josh Allen the new Aaron Rodgers uh, match up in the Super Bowl that would be awesome not that we're eliminating Mahomes at all but, but uh, I, if I had to pick someone right now I would pick the Packers to win it all
0: are you picking the Bills to beat the Chiefs no matter what
6: I, I, I like the Bills' chances. I really do. I mean, I'm not wow. uh, Jimmy the Greek, but I'm I'm, I'm, I, I'm willing to go out on a little bit of a Jimmy limb because of what Buffalo's going. you you're I showed guy. my age <laughs> a little bit. Sorry. I thought
0: you might say Pete Axtelm.
6: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm in my 50s, not uh, 80s, okay? <laughs> ladies and
0: gentlemen, he's Randy Mueller. An old friend has always been supportive of me and my career, and I've always been a fan of his from afar. Randy, great to visit with you. I hope we can do it again. I know you do the pod. Uh, You want to tell us about the pod on The Athletic with Mike Sando that you do?
6: We do a weekly podcast. Mike Sando and I always spin a little Northwest flavor because both of us are Seattle guys. But yeah, we do it for The Athletic. It's been fun. We've done it all season long. And uh, yeah, but I'd love to come back and join you anytime, Mitch. You know that.
0: All the best to you, Randy. Happy New Year. Thank you. You too. Next up on Mitch Unfiltered, John Waterstrat, owner, Fireside Home Solutions. John, 2021 is going to be a better year for all of us. You and I rarely talk about your outdoor units and your fire pits, and I'm loving what I'm seeing on your website at firesidehomesolutions.com. Talk about that arm of your business.
7: Yeah, great question. Our manufacturers that create the indoor fireplace create outdoor fireplaces, so we have everything from an outdoor fireplace that's fully made to be outside stainless steel and also fire pits, we can take that great gathering space that we have inside and create one outside. So again, on those cool spring and summer nights that you want to continue to spend some time with your friends, we can turn those fireplaces and keep everybody warm.
0: What's the latest on scheduling, delivery, installation, timeframes on your end as we enter the new year, John?
7: Great question, Mitch. Uh, we've been very blessed with great manufacturers. They've held steady to their uh, schedule. We're still able to install units between three to four weeks so not too late to buy we still have this cold january snap that we're going through in february just had a windstorm just the other day so when those power outages come you can throw that insert on and keep yourself warm in your home
0: and by the way while fireplaces pay the mortgage at john waterstrat's place That's not the only thing you guys do at Fireside Home Solutions and do very well.
7: Yep, uh, we not only do fireplaces, but we do do garage doors. Garage doors has been a great business, something we've got into five to six years ago. Again, it's a very complimentary business. And when we design indoor spaces, now we can take the outdoor of your house. A garage door makes up about 30 to 40% of your home. On the front view, we can change that up for you, give you a traditional look, modern look. We can install it design it and then same thing as our fireplaces we can service it for life so it's been a great business and we just were able to do my uh, golf club at Linden and put all nice. those doors in there.
0: Nice. What would Mitch Unfiltered be without great partners like Fireside Home Solutions and John Waterstrat start your search for a fireplace or garage doors at FiresideHomeSolutions.com
5: Unfiltered
4: A Trump golf course in New Jersey was set to host the 2022 PGA Championship, but yesterday, the board of directors voted to cancel that agreement. For the Jordan Spieth
1: has won the U.S. Open. It's a three putt from Dustin Johnson, and with that. Jordan
0: Spieth has won the first two majors of the year. Episode 126 continues a potential story maybe to keep an eye on. You may or may not know that the PGA of America has decided to cancel playing its 2022 major championship, the PGA championship at Trump National in New Jersey. So all of a sudden, some... 17 months away from the 2022 PGA Championship. They're looking for a place, and I know of one. It happens to be in University Place, Washington. Here's Matt Allen, Kemper Sports VP that oversees Chambers Bay. He joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline here on Mitch Unfiltered. Hi, Matt. Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year to you, Mitch.
0: It's great to have you. So immediately following the announcement You had to be warm and fuzzy about how quickly you guys were mentioned in the conversation. Is that uh, that true? And is there any reason for all of us to get excited about the potential of a PGA Championship coming to Chambers Bay?
2: Well, it's certainly gratifying to be in the public conversation and to see all this social media murmuring (laughs) about the fact that we could be we certainly have not had any conversations as of today with the pga and and i don't really suspect uh that we will but it but it it's, it thrills me that chambers bay is thought of in that way
0: and the reason you don't think there will be conversations between you and the pga is for our listeners who don't understand the politics involved here
2: right right well having hosted the the us open in 2015 and with another USGA championship on the calendar this year and active discussions about uh, several others. We've made the decision, uh, along with Pierce County, to to hitch our horse to the USGA wagon.
0: Okay, so there's no chance that a PGA championship would come to Chambers Bay. No chance of that happening.
2: Not from my perspective, okay. no.
0: I think the audience needs an explanation because you say USGA, I say PGA of America. You and I know the difference and they're kind of, in some ways, rivals in terms of golf courses that they play their, their major championships. You guys obviously hosted the 2015 U.S. Open at Chambers Bay and are hopeful that the USGA will come back with a major championship. And you do some other USGA events,
2: correct? Exactly. In addition to the, being the course that brought the U.S. Open to the Northwest uh, for the first time in 2015, we had hosted the U.S. Amateur Championship in 2010. We'll host... The 2021 U.S. Amateur Four-Ball Championship uh, in just a, a few months uh, in May of this year, uh, and are in an ongoing discussions with the USGA about about other championships. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I would call them rivals, but especially as it relates to the majors, you know, both of those organizations make t- tend to make financial investments in the courses. And certainly, while, while Pierce County made investments in Chambers Bay, for sure, the USGA did share in some of those costs as it relates to the U.S. Open, and, and they want to be able to uh, return and continue to enjoy those investments.
0: As far as Matt Allen's concerned, of course, you, you, you don't know for sure. As you sit here with me today, is it your belief that the U.S. Open the United States Open will again at some point come to Chambers Bay?
2: I remain very optimistic about that. It is a personal goal of mine. I'd love to retire from this job in whatever (laughs) year that occurs, have that be my swan song. And I applaud both Kemper Sports and Pierce County for you know, the quick action and the entrepreneurial thinking around resodding the putting greens. Right. I think it immediately addressed that, you know, the biggest thing that could have been an impediment to that happening.
0: All right. Now, people don't know, or a lot of people do, but some don't. Everybody remembers 2015. There's never been a set of green complexes that have been so heavily scrutinized as the ones at Chambers Bay in the summer of 2015 when you guys hosted the U.S. Open. It's been five and a half years now. Tell I played them uh, this past summer. I couldn't believe the difference. Beautiful. Tell everybody who hasn't played them or hasn't followed the story what exactly happened in the wake of the 2015 Open, Matt.
2: Yeah, so the the greens were planted with fine fescue. And, you know, any golf course in the northwest though they will eventually be poa putting greens poa annua grass they all they all start with something else we started with fescue most others started or start with bent grass and over time the the poa encroaches poa is basically a weed it's not available as a turf grass you can't plant it you can't start with it and yet it provides up and down the west coast a terrific putting surface when mowed very closely mown. So in 2015, largely due to the unprecedented heat we experienced in April and May leading up to the championship, ended up April, May and June were the hottest for the 90 day period on record. The fescue went dormant. Fescue is very drought tolerant, doesn't like the heat and goes to sleep and POA gets real perky and needs water in heat. The combination wasn't great. The fescue basically wasn't growing. The POA was very perky. And in order to keep the POA that was there at that point alive and to keep the greens from getting too firm in general because of the heat, we had to water more than we would have liked. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon you've got you know this mixture on some greens not all there were you know that was another one of the issues was inconsistency green to green but on the greens that had the most poa you had perky poa dormant fescue making for bumpy conditions
0: and so the usga said what to you in in the aftermath in the days after the us open
2: yeah i I had a conversation immediately after uh with mike davis who had you know moved on to the British Open, which that year was uh, St Andrews? I spoke to him on the phone from St Andrews and and told him of our plans at that time to do everything we could agronomically to encourage what was going to be a natural move to to Poa anyway. And he he immediately endorsed that approach and uh, understood and and of course subsequently we decided to to do something much bolder.
0: Mm. Has he been back? Has Davis been back? Actually, Davis has, I think, moved on or retired. But has the USGA, obviously the USGA has been back since you've done the greens because you've got other USGA events coming.
2: Yes, um, uh, Mike has visited. M- Mike has announced his retirement uh, but has not officially retired yet. Mike's visited once or twice. John Bodenhammer visits sure. more frequently. Yeah, we met, when we made the decision that we thought the best long term decision, both for attracting championships and for the golf course as a business was to address the putting greens. We actually delayed our hosting of the four ball championship. It was it was originally scheduled for 2019. And we were able to ask our sister property in Bandon. To host the 2019 championship so we could delay to 2021 and you know it's it's all very strategic to make sure that the next usga championship we had is on wonderful putting green
0: these us opens are committed years and years and years in advance when's the next window that you guys have your uh, eye on
2: yeah you know um We are talking with the USGA currently about two other championships in the intervening years, and that's all I can say about that. And and I'm as excited about that as I am about the prospect of the US Open returning. It will be hosting those championships, getting the endorsement of those players. Uh, having other televised events short of the U.S. Open and getting, you know, sort of that global endorsement of the putting greens. That is all part of the plan of getting the U.S. Open to return. But you're you're right. It's it's pretty far out there, certainly farther out there. I think than than those of us hoped (laughs) going into 2015. (laughs) But but I would say just me talking, you know, probably in the Twenty thirty one or or later time frame.
0: Matt uh, Matt Allen is great to be with us here on Mitch Unfiltered. Matt, I think there's probably a section of our audience who listened at the beginning and heard you say, "No, uh, we're we're hitched to the USGA," and they're wondering. Well, they don't understand. They're wondering. Well, wait a second. If you're if you're talking about not being able to host a U.S. Open to potentially twenty thirty 2030 or twenty thirty five or somewhere way down, why not go for a PGA Championship? <laughs> In the meantime, people don't understand that you can't just do that because once you once you start speaking to the PGA of America, well, then you you run the risk of hurting the feelings of the USGA.
2: Right. Yeah, I I think first of all, we haven't been approached by the PGA of America. And I think even if that were something they were thinking about, I suspect they wouldn't approach us just just for that reason.
0: Because you are a part of the USGA at this point, right? Right. right. Yeah,
2: I, th- I think that the signal is pretty clear. You know where where Chambers Bay is aligned, but in addition, if you've seen maybe some recent examples, um, you know you've seen Beth Page, sure. you know, make make the sure. move sure. right away. Yep. You know to PGA Championship, Ryder Cup, so for the Olympic Club is going that way you know honestly with the olympic club doing that as a west coast u.s open venue with beth page doing that as a public US Open venue you know both of those moves i think are are you know m- make even stronger the likelihood that Pierce County and Chambers Bay would stay stay right where we are in in search of another US Open
0: i would think and the, one of the reasons i got excited and now i'm my enthusiasm is tempered a bit <laughs> sorry about that but w- one of the reasons i got excited was i was i was just thinking about the challenges for the PJ of America to have to change venues seventeen months before a tournament. These things are planned and worked on for years and years and years. And the first thing that jumped into my mind, and maybe you would disagree with this because you know this business ten times better than I do, that it would it would make sense that a municipal golf course in such a short amount of time, 17 months, would be a better place for them to go now in the short time that they have than a private golf course where they have to deal with memberships and all kinds of red tape to get it done
2: yeah you know i actually might think the reverse uh but not that there couldn't be politics involved in getting a private club to do that but a private club can just decide to do it you know a a municipal golf course has far different displaced revenue considerations and uh, you know i i think But more importantly, I don't think an organization like the BGA of America or if it were the USGA moving a big championship away with 17 months notice, I suspect they have, you know, one or more alternates pretty well in hand by the time they make that kind of a decision.
0: Matt, the other question coming out of 2015 and the other criticism, there are two main criticisms of Chambers Bay. You've obviously addressed one in the new green complexes. How about the the fan, the spectator experience? People were alarmed that they couldn't get closer to the action and they couldn't walk the golf course and the eighth hole was closed off to the spectators. Is there anything the next time around, should there be a next time around that you guys can do to alleviate that situation?
2: Definitely. And it's something we went right to work with Pierce County and the USGA uh, on addressing Uh, there. There is a plan. Uh, It's a complex set of things, uh, you know, part of which is perception. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they survey the US Open spectators and probably unlike nearly any other place the US Open's been held, As I recall, it was something like 90% of the spectators were attending their first major golf event Uh because it was new in the market. So part of it is understanding and expectation. And as you know well, that attending a major golf event is not like sitting in the stands in an arena. But having said that, there are places we can absolutely address spectator movement so that it's more likely that you could continuously follow a single group and then there are also places that we believe we can be more creative with the way people gather that in locations that might not be suitable for a traditional grandstand some things like platforms for standing viewing that could be created specifically in areas where you could see the eighth hole.
0: People might remember, you and I both remember, that there were some incidents, I believe, at the U.S. Amateur, uh, some slipping, some falling, maybe some injuries. And I thought once I got to the U.S. Open Championship that maybe you guys and, – and, and look, there's, no, there's no, nothing wrong with this, but maybe – Maybe the USGA and you guys went a little overboard and were extra cautious as a result of those incidents with the way it was set up for the U.S. Open.
2: No doubt. And I think the USGA would admit that both because of the experience during the USAM and you know when, when you multiply the number of spectators by 10 concerns of what that might look like but also again back to the really unusual weather we had so some of those slopes were were even more slippery not unlike august of 2010 during the usam because it was so hot if you think about normal april may june weather Mm -hmm. that really shouldn't be an issue so matt allen's
0: message this new year to golf fans here in the pacific northwest is Hey, don't get excited about the PGA Championship. We're still very much aligned with the USGA, but don't lose all hope because the USGA is bringing some great events here with the hopes of someday, maybe we'll all be grandfathers by then, bringing the US Open maybe in the 2030s, that decade at some point, to the Great Chambers Bay. Correct?
2: That's the message? That's the message and... Thank you for thinking of us. Thank you for putting us in the public conversation about this. To me, that is, that, that is the, you know, the ultimate validation of the decision we made to change the putting greets.
0: Great to have you, Matt. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, look who's back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. It's Jordan Flowers at the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Happy New Year, Jordan. Thanks for being back with us. Give us a quick market overview of your world in the mortgage business these days.
5: Happy New Year, Mitch. Thank you. The market is incredibly hot. 2021, interest rates are still low, and people are taking advantage of interest rates in the two. still. They're also getting pre-approved with us to win offers on buying a house with how hot the purchase market is as well.
0: So if you're considering selling a house these days, this is a, a great time to do it
5: it's a fantastic time to be looking at selling your house. If you are considering selling, this is the optimal time to be doing it. You can reach out to our team. If you don't have a trusted real estate professional, we work with a lot of top 1% brokers in the area. If you have a trusted real estate professional, I'd advise you reaching out to them. If you are thinking about selling your house because the inventory is so low, we're seeing multiple offers upwards of 20 to 30 bids per home and prices escalating hundred two hundred thousand over list right now in a lot of areas
0: for those of us that are thinking about refinancing and calling you and getting the numbers how does how does inflation play a part of all this
5: Yeah, we saw a scare here the last week with rates starting to tick up with some concern about inflation, which is bad for long-term debt, so your bond market. We've had a kind of stabilizing and rebound a little bit. Rates are still in the high twos, but if you were thinking about giving us a call and just seeing if any numbers work, now would be the time to do it. Five or eight minutes
0: On a phone call with either Jordan or a member of his team, we'll uh, let you know what the numbers are and whether it makes sense for you and your family. And the best phone
5: number to reach you guys? Office line still 425-250-3145. And the cell phone's 425-890-2957.
0: We love Jordan Flowers. We love the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage.
5: Unfiltered.
0: episode 126 mitch unfiltered hotshot scott here other stuff
1: segment the floor is yours sir some 600 uh, 762 000 pounds of pepperoni pizza hot pockets are being recalled Uh-oh. according to the u.s department of agriculture's food safety and inspection hot pockets? service toilets everywhere are rejoicing oh, but okay. i'm sure the company is not haven't we talked about hot pockets like there's an heir to the hot pocket thrown and we talk okay. i feel like we've talked we've, about hot pockets a few times we've but. talked about them
0: twice okay number one is that the heir, the heiress of hot pockets ended up in jail in that college admissions scandal
1: there it is that's yep.
0: one thing that's one way we've talked about him and we talked about him with my guy the guy who was arrested oh, right. going into the bank. He didn't want the money in the bank. He just wanted the right. microwave oven so he could so he could heat up his hot pocket. And as he was being put into the car, the police car, somebody with a camera said, is it all of this worth it? And he looked at him like, worth it? Hot pockets? Hell yeah, it's worth it.
1: Hot <laughs> they pockets. Are, they are pretty good. But, but the, the product being recalled may be contaminated with extraneous materials, specifically <laughs> pieces of glass and hard plastic.
5: Oh, gosh.
1: I don't know how one would know but be careful if you have any in your in your freezer from uh, November 13th to November 16th of 2020. I'll go check. So anyway, there Max, you go. Yeah, Max go
0: loves up. Hot Pockets. Max loves Hot Pockets.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Teenagers love them. Have you heard the story of the Bills fans contributing to Lamar Jackson's charity? No. So Lamar Jackson got hurt on Saturday in the playoff game, the playoff loss in Buffalo to the Bills. The Bills mm-hmm. fans, they call them the Bills Mafia, have a history of this. You recall that a year ago... I can't remember, Andy Dalton was playing for the Bengals and they beat somebody to get the Bills into the playoffs. On the final game of the season, Mr. Playoff should remember, on the final game of the season, Andy Dalton, Cincinnati Bengals did something, won a game that got the Bills into the NFL postseason, and the Bills fans turned around and found Andy Dalton's favorite charity and just started giving money online to to Andy Dalton's charity. They raised all kinds of money. They did the exact same thing on Saturday, Saturday night after Lamar Jackson was taken off the field due to injury in the Ravens' loss to the Bills. They turned around and they started contributing money to the fans at the time of this recording, his favorite charity, which is helping uh, underprivileged youth in inner cities. Okay. $300,000 so far and counting from Buffalo Bills fans.
1: Wow. That's really nice. That's great. That's a great story. That is a great story. So they, they only do it to, to players who sort of help them. or like, I'm sure Bills fans wouldn't be dying to give money to them if they're, if they're lost this weekend, right? <laughs> they never gave any money to Marino's favorite funds. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> hey, Stefan Thomas of San Francisco, the guy we talked about who has his Bitcoin password locked, he can't access that $252 million. Yeah. He's just come out now and said, I've come to grips with it. It is what it is. It's almost like he's just given up knowing he's never going to get that password. How much as money does this, he How much money well, does it, he have? It went up to three hundred and twenty one million at one point, but as we record this, it's around two hundred and fifty two million dollars that he cannot access because he lost his password to get his Bitcoin. I see your lost access to
0: password and I raise you landfill. somebody sent me that and I had it too go ahead I sent it to you a British man who accidentally (laughs) threw a hard drive loaded with Bitcoin into the trash listen to this has offered the local authority in England where he lives more than 70 million dollars if it allows him to go through the landfill site IT worker James Howells got rid of the drive which held a digital store of 7,500 Bitcoins oh. between June and August 2013. He originally mined the virtual currency four years earlier when it was of little value. But when the cryptocurrency shot up in value and he went to search for it, he discovered that he had mistakenly thrown the hard drive out in the trash. Oh. Howell's first discovery that the hard drive was missing was when his Bitcoin was worth about $9 million. Based on current rates, it's now worth $273 million. Man. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. He's speaking. He told CNN, quote, I offered to donate 25% of it or $71.7 million to the city of Newport, England, in order to distribute to all of their local residents, take my money and give them to all the residents who live in Newport should I find and recover the Bitcoins in the landfill? Quote, this would work out to approximately $239 per person for the entire 316,000 population. He says, unfortunately, they refuse the offer and they won't even have a face-to-face discussion with me on the matter.
1: What's the problem with a guy rummaging through a landfill? Like, what, what, I don't get what, it. what harm is that? I don't get it. Just rent yourself a little backhoe and just start smashing around. Can't
0: the city do something with seventy one million dollars? Oh. Isn't that en- isn't the tease of that enough to let a guy go through the trash? He can go through my trash for five dollars and fifty two cents. Just come on <laughs> <Right>. over.
1: <laughs> I, I remember how stressed my mom was when I lost my retainer. Oh, and, uh, oh. and what was what was a retainer? Two hundred dollars? I don't even have a hundred bucks. It was like the world ended, and we're literally going through a dumpster to try to find my little pink retainer
0: how much was this 282 million 273 million of which he was prepared if they let him go through the landfill and if he found his hard drive he was going to give the little city or big city three hundred sixteen thousand population he was going to give them 71.7 million and they wouldn't even take a meeting with him to talk about letting him go through the trash i'll meet with him
1: yeah i'm happy to meet with him (laughs) here's the question for you what would it take for you to go out there and search with him for, I don't know, eight to ten hours? Like, what would he have to offer you if, in fact, because you might not find it, but would it be five million, a million? How much would it take for you to go out there and search with him? A Kit Kat bar. That's it. Huh? Okay, well, you could probably find a half-eaten one out there if you look hard enough. <laughs> I would do it. I'd go out there. I totally five, do. Five million?
0: Yeah. Oh, for five million? Oh, definitely. For five yeah.
1: million. But you might not find it. I mean, you could be smelly and gross. and be. Would you do it for a hundred grand? Uh, Sure, what I got nothing going on. 50 grand. <laughs> oh God. 25 grand? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. 25 grand that you're probably not going to find it. I mean, does it say when he threw it away? Did you, you already say that in the story? like how many years ago it yeah, was it's, it, or? It's,
0: it's several years ago?
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, who knows if it's still there?
0: And even That's if a he, crazy And story. even if he finds it, is it going to be in the condition to be able to use it? Right, exactly. I mean, are you going to be able know. to access it? That would be the worst thing. He finds yeah. it. He yeah. finds it, and then he can't, you know, th- then he's in the situation that your buddy is in that you just talked about.
1: Yeah, I, I do feel like we're going to get a lot more of these stories <laughs> that are going to start coming out about people who thought Bitcoin was worth nothing, and now it's, you know, it's life-changing. I mean, you could be insanely sure rich. All right. Sure Denver Broncos star Von Miller is under yeah. criminal investigation. right? yeah. Sure is, yep. Yeah, I, from what I saw, I couldn't figure out what for. Maybe you know, but a spokesperson for the Parker Police Department in Parker, Colorado, say the case is currently under investigation, so no information can be released at this time. Broncos released a statement saying they're aware of the investigation and working to obtain more information. I on don't matter, have any but...
0: more information. For some reason, I think that there might be a domestic matter. Okay. Because I feel like that he has been investigated before for domestic issues, but I'm not. I'm not completely. Isu- I'm not completely sure about
1: that. All right. Well, it's been a r- didn't he get hurt for the seat? I mean, it, he got it's hurt. Been a, a rough yeah. year.
0: I think he's had a couple of DUI incidents.
1: Oh, I was probably
0: speaking out of turn here because I'm doing all this based on my memory, but I do not know any more information. But it's a, sh- it's a shame that one of the great players in the NFL, we're talking about one of the great, great players in the NFL, potentially in some trouble.
1: Yep. Super Bowl 50 MVP as well.
0: And while we're on the topic of issues off the field, sorry to hear about Josh Gordon's suspension. Oh, yeah. We, we had not heard a definitive indefinitely suspended, but we have now. At the time of our last recording, you and I had not heard that he had been indefinitely suspended, but he has now. So I just hope and pray that everything will work out okay for him, the man, rather than him, the football player.
1: Yeah, selfishly, I, I want both, but I guess we got to start with Josh Gordon, the man. I got three RIPs. Do you want me to get into them? Three. Go ahead. Joanne Rogers. Don't know her. Widow of legendary children's TV host, Fred Rogers. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Mrs. Rogers. Mrs. Rogers. Passed away, yeah, according to the family's production company. She, she was married to Fred for 50 years as he became the famous Mr. Rogers neighborhood guy and helped carry on his legacy of kindness and caring after he died of stomach cancer in 2003. she survived by her two sons, James and John. She was 92 years old. There's really a cool video out there if you want to go look it up of her leaving a hospital. I think she might've been sick with something, but she was leaving and it's a really big hospital with multiple levels and everyone is hanging out and they all start singing, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood for her. They're serenading her as she walks out. It's really a a sweet touching moment if you guys want to go look that up, but rest in peace to Joanne Rogers, a big part of Fred's career. There's been movies about him and documentaries and great guy and a great woman. So she will be missed. Uh, This one, Phil Spector. I don't even know where you begin with this one. Did you see Phil Spector passed away? no i mean you know who he is right the music producer
0: no really i don't know who he is i'm sorry i know the name the name is familiar
1: but i don't know i don't know who he is tell me talk you'll talk hot pockets heiresses all day long but (laughs) the, the most famous producer ever so okay he's responsible for some of the biggest hits in music he's the architect of the wall of sound which is essentially overdubbing scores of musicians in like an orchestral style to make a fuller sound worked with he worked with everyone he worked with the beatles um he passed away of covid related complications he was serving a 19 year to life sentence for murder of lana clarkson you really don't know this story no holy there was a movie in 2013 with uh where al pacino plays him it's not bad it's a pretty decent movie but you sort of learn he was he was a musical genius he had perfect pitch but he was a little, he was just a little nutty. His first wife, Ronnie Spector, she accused him of tormenting her for their four years they were together. And she had to leave barefoot. I mean, she just, she, she had to, she left alone barefoot because he was always pulling guns on her. And he was, he was just kind of a, just kind of a jerk. I mean, but his musically, I mean, he has like The Righteous Brothers, You Lost That Love and Feeling, Unchained Melody, uh, The Ronettes, Be My Baby, The Crystals, He's a Rebel, on and on. And some say, he broke up the Beatles because... Oh, sorry, my phone's going off. I was like, what, is that okay. Phil Spector? <laughs> <laughs> God, is he pissed from the grave? Um, because Len, John Lennon loved working with him, but Paul McCartney was like, eh, I'm not really into the wall of sound and all that shit. So some say he broke up the Beatles. Then he, he worked with everyone. So he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989. And like I said, ended up in prison. Um, he met an actress, that Lana Clarkson, in 2003 while she was working at the House of Blues in West Hollywood. They went back to his mansion and... He shot her, although he claimed it was an accidental suicide. I don't know. His house, have you seen this? His house is insane and creepy, and I'm fascinated with it. It's a 28-room hotel that looks like a faux castle. It, it's it's the coolest house you ever saw, but also in LA? really creepy. In L.A.? Yeah, it's in, yeah. Uh, yeah, I forget. Yeah, it's the L.A. area, but um he let's see it, it's actually it went on sale in 2019 i looked it up for 5.5 million if you want to buy it but a lot of weird shit went on there i'd
0: have to find the guy's uh hard uh. drive first before i afford
1: it <laughs> before you can pay for oh, my it's first now purchase it. it's now available for 4.4 million dollars Okay, if so all i to gotta Bill do is Specker's find the disc
0: drive i guess gotta find i gotta find the hard drive that's all i gotta Man, do Man, he
1: he was a conflicted weird dude but a musical genius he really was all right last one Casino magnate Sheldon Adelson. Oh sure, he was the Not founder, him chairman, I know. and yeah. yeah. <laughs> anything Vegas or casino, you know, uh, he was the chairman and CEO of Las Sands. Vegas Sands Corporation. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He was worth around thirty-three point five billion dollars.
0: incredibly philanthropic guy, a guy who helped bring the NFL, who fought to bring the NFL to Las Vegas, who was a part of the the building of that incredible stadium where the Raiders now play. Yes, a um, a tremendous tremendously accomplished guy, not only in Las Vegas, but
1: around the world. Yeah, he built a Venetian. I mean, that's that's his big claim to fame right now. That's one of the newer hotels. But I, I, I didn't know that in the 70s, he and his partners developed the Comdex trade show for the computer industry. It began in 1979. And then in 1995, they sold the rights to Comdex. They sold it for... $862 million to the SoftBank Group of Japan. And his share was over $500 million. That was one investment that the guy made. Just here's $500 million. And by the way, he lost $4 billion in 2008, more than any American billionaire. In 2009, his net worth declined from approximately $30 billion to $2 billion. Now, mm-hmm. I know you're all saying, yeah, I mean, how did he eat? I mean, who can live on that? But that's a drop of 93%. That hurts. And you know what the but biggest thing
0: he did after that?
1: To, I don't to,
0: yeah, he found the guy's hard drive.
1: Oh, it's funny cuz he yeah, he got it he got it back. He's at 33 billion now. He went he through somehow the, earned it. Back. He went through the landfill. <laughs> he, he, found- he had a, he had a really cool quote that only a super rich guy could say. He said, "So I lost 25 billion. I started with zero. There's no such thing as fear not to an entrepreneur. Concern yes, fear no." Oh god. So I thought that was a pretty cool quote. So anyway, he died at his home in Malibu at the age of 87 and he was actually buried in Israel. So there you go. Rest in peace to him. All right. Oh, wait. I got one quick one. A Largo, Florida high school teacher was arrested after allegedly spraying a student with disinfectant because the teen wasn't wearing a COVID mask properly. Stop it. Stop it. I'm like, these are the teachers? Stop it. I'm starting to get some. We're not doing this. (laughs) I have some insight into why you people don't
0: know how to act right. We are not doing this. It's (laughs) 2021. It's not still 2020. No
1: more Florida people. I do actually listen. I do listen when you talk most of the time. And my last story. Yeah is about people in New York City. All right, is that better? Okay, after 10 months of social distancing, the residents of Brooklyn's communal sex houses are frustrated to say the least. More than 30 residents ranging from ages 20 to 45 live in these three houses operated by the Hacienda Sex Club. Along with the residents, the club has more than 700 members. Before the pandemic, the roommates who have their own bedrooms and everything, they hosted parties once or twice a month, but now, they can't have any parties. In 2019, the club hosted, let's say, 19. And in, in 2020, there were only five sex parties before the pandemic. So these people are up in arms. You can read the whole article in the New York Post. They are really desperate. I mean, I was reading further into the story, and you really start to understand how hard up some of these guys are. Some of these swingers are so desperate, they've even considered traveling to Florida where restrictions are looser.
0: We're not doing that.
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. We're not, not doing that. that. You're right. They're, they're not that desperate yet. With vaccines on the horizon, <laughs> I see a brighter future for members. And finally, we all feel really sorry for the sexually frustrated people living in the uh, commune. Uh, Said no married person ever. Uh, right, I, I had to go get my steak out of the oven. That's why my alarm went off.
0: That was an alarm? I thought that was uh, Phil Spector.
1: (laughs) Yes, he's pissed off. He's calling me from the grave. I've been gone a day, and you're shitting on me? How dare you? I did say he's a genius, though.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, become a patron at MitchUnfiltered.com and listen to all the great uh, Hotshot Scott Soden work. He's now done three shows. I just dropped my bell. He's done three musical shows, the latest of which is some guy named Lou Graham. I don't know who that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know Lou Grant or Ed Asner. I know Mary Tyler Moore.